and welcome to Pick 6 Movies. Wouldn't you know it, you have stumbled on another podcast about movies, only this one is a little bit different. How, you ask? Well, I admire your inquisitive nature. Here on Pick 6 Movies, what we do is me, Bo Ransdell, and one of my oldest friends in the whole wide world, Chad Cooper, pick a theme for a season. In this case, our theme for season 12 is As Seen on TV. Now, what we do with that theme is we pick six movies, hence the title, based around that theme. And what we've got here, folks, is the season finale. That's right, we have worked our way through Avengers, Wild Wests, Dragnets, Dukes of Hazards, and Bordellos of Bloods. And it all leads to this. A season finale featuring a movie so bad, it doesn't even really have anything to do with the show that it was based on. But we're still going to talk about it, and it's going to be a great time. So, before we get into that discussion, Chad's going to tickle your eardrums with a little story about Fantasy Island, both the television show and the movie, and then I'll be back around later to goof on its own. So, kick back, open up one of those god-awful White Claws or whatever it is you kids are drinking today, and settle in for the season finale of Season 12 of Pick 6 Movies, as seen on TV. And what's that in the distance? The intro! The intro! If you were granted one wish... Just one wish. What would you wish for? When you blow out the candles on a birthday cake, or you see a shooting star, you blow an eyelash off of your fingertip, what do you wish for? Love? Happiness? Health? Money? Revenge? Success? Self-improvement? Do you wish to right the wrongs of the past, or set in motion things that will provide a better future? Peace on Earth? Goodwill toward men? Most of us have imagined what it would be like to have our deepest desires or impossible dreams granted simply by asking, without effort or consequence. But it's that last part, without consequence. That's the real sticking point of having your deepest desires come true. Fictional stories throughout history have explored the idea of granting wishes, and numerous tales of people magically having their dreams realized is a plot device normally leveraged in an effort to teach us, the audience, a real meaningful life lesson through a cautionary tale with disastrous and oftentimes deadly results. Sure, sometimes granting wishes is fun and musical, like in Disney's animated film Aladdin featuring the manic, shape-shifting Robin Williams, and more recently, the hip-hopping Will Smith, as they both grant wishes to the young and in love Aladdin, all against a backdrop of action and adventure and romance. A few decades before those big-screen genies and lamps made wishes come true, in the 1960s, television audiences were given weekly adventures of astronaut Tony Nelson, who found a magic lamp of his own out on the beach of Florida's Space Coast, where he gave it a rub and freed a young, bee-ponytailed Barbara Eden, who was both a wish-granting genie, and her name was Genie in the TV show I Dream of Genie. With a crisscross of her arms, Genie could make all of her master's wildest dreams come true. But they really weren't all that wild of wishes compared to modern-day standards. Pinocchio wished to be a real boy. George Bailey wished he'd never been born. Kevin McAllister wished his family would disappear. That kid version of Tom Hanks wished he was a big-sized Tom Hanks. And in each of these cases, all of the wishes came true and they taught us, the audience, some very important life lessons. Bravery is fundamental to humanity. Your life impacts others in ways you never know. Family is important. 
and it's not statutory rape if a grown woman has sex with a child if that child is inhabiting the body of a grown man that looks like Tom Hanks. Now, granting wishes can also really get out of sorts. Case in point, you find yourself a monkey's paw. Or you come across a malicious Twilight Zone kid that has unlimited wishes. Or if something wicked were to this way come, heck, the next thing you know, you might find yourself a slave to the devil roaming the Midwest in a turn-of-the-century traveling circus. Fables, fairy tales, short stories, novels, and movies all about wish fulfillment aren't really about getting the thing you want. They're about understanding people's deepest desires and the motivations behind them. What people think they want is not always what they truly need. And this inability to identify your wants and your needs isn't exclusive to wish granting. It also applies to all manner of topics. What should you be doing versus what you want to be doing? What should you eat? What should you read? What should you listen to? What should you watch? Need versus want. And those people who make TV and movies, well, they strive to create original-ish entertainment in an effort to identify what people want to watch. Because television and movie producers, they need audiences to watch for them to survive. Now, historically, two out of three new network TV shows, well, they get canceled in their first year. That's why many TV executives take already successful books and movies and other TV shows and they just rip them off and provide them a thin veil of originality in the guise as an homage or somewhat inspired by or reimagination of a successful predecessor. Oftentimes R&D simply means rip off and duplicate. And one example of this hit the airwaves of the American Broadcast Company in 1977. See, back in the late 1970s, ABC had some notable success with the television show The Love Boat. This was a weekly show where a standard cast of cruise line employees would be introduced to aging C and D-list celebrities who were on the downside of their careers, or sometimes there were child actors that were quickly outgrowing their youthful cuteness, and they would all come aboard this cruise ship and have a wonderful time for about 60 minutes. Each week, guest stars would spend this hour on the Pacific Princess, sailing off the west coast of the United States to find romance and comedic misadventures and shipboard fun across multiple storylines that intermingled with each other to find resolution in under an hour. As the ship pulled back into port, having returned from Puerto Vallarta or Acapulco, the executive producer of The Love Boat was television legend Aaron Spelling, who previously had produced TV hits like Family and Charlie's Angels, and he would later go on to produce Heart to Heart, Dynasty, Beverly Hills 90210, among many other successful television programs. Spelling, along with producer Leonard Goldberg and writer Gene Levitt, well, they put their heads together and they decided to reinvent the concept of the weekly showcase of Hollywood has-beens in a comedy drama series as a companion to follow the love boat in primetime. And the results of this television menage a trois would ultimately become Fantasy Island. Now, Fantasy Island differed from the love boat perhaps most notably in the show's premise. Each week on Fantasy Island, washed-up actors and aging sports celebrities and down-on-their-luck musicians and the occasional young actor or actress looking to break into Hollywood, well, they found themselves traveling via seaplane to the remote tropical island out in the Pacific, the island's mysterious host, 
was Mr. Rourke, who each week pulled back the shutters of the white Queen Anne cottage in which he lived and looked skyward as his guests arrived, making their landing approach while simultaneously his diminutive assistant, Tattoo, climbed a spiraling staircase to the top of a tower where he rang a bell and announced the guests' arrival by shouting... Following this memorable catchphrase, a small harem of Polynesian women with brightly colored flowers in their hair and equally brightly colored dresses would rush to greet the new guests as Tattoo and Mr. Rourke would greet each other. Good morning, boss. Good morning, Tattoo. Before climbing into a customized 1978 Plymouth Volare, which had no doors and a roof covered with a red and white striped tent on it. As the orange and white seaplane taxied into the lagoon to dock, we would see the names of the weekly guest stars that would be playing the characters who ponied up $50,000 for their visit to Fantasy Island. That's a little over two hundred grand by today's U.S. currency. Upon arriving, they would have their most secret wishes come true, and they could wish for anything. Guests to Fantasy Island would ask to be famous or successful or have superhuman powers or go back in time to experience moments from history. Guests would make wishes that allowed them to be the people that they wish that they were or to oftentimes go back into the past to right a wrong. And each week, every wish would bring with it unexpected consequences. But once a guest fantasy was set in motion, there was no turning back as each wish had to be fulfilled to completion. And it all started with Mr. Rourke directing his staff to welcome their guests by saying, Smiles, everyone, smiles. Now the island's host, Mr. Rourke, he was a man of great distinction, impeccably dressed in a white three-piece suit with a complimentary black tie. Mr. Rourke's ability to fulfill each guest's fantasy was completed through unexplained powers, and his identity was, well, a mystery. Who was this man? Was he a wealthy philanthropist? Some speculated he might be God, or an angel, or maybe the devil, but it was never really clarified. Mr. Rourke was famously played by Ricardo Montalban, a Mexican-born native who moved to the United States to broaden his education and attend Fairfax High School in Los Angeles. While in the United States, Montalban's English improved greatly, but he never lost his distinct Castilian Spanish accent. Montalban was drawn to acting against the wishes of his father, and Montalban eventually went to New York and he was cast in some theater productions and some smaller film roles, and he got noticed by an MGM talent scout. Now, due to his mother's failing health, Montalban returned to Mexico, but he continued to act where he worked his way up in the movie business. Montalban started to gain some success with roles in feature films and was eventually signed to an eight-picture deal with MGM, which led to roles in multiple films, including Baby It's Cold Outside, alongside Esther Wood, Williams and Red Skelton and Betty Garrett, where they sang the most famous Christmas theme song about sexual assault. Montalban suffered an injury after being thrown from a horse when a prop cannon went off while filming Across the Wide Missouri, where he had a non-speaking role in a movie that starred Clark Gable. This injury gave Montalban a permanent limp that he carried for the rest of his life. Montalban worked steadily in television and film throughout the 40s and the 50s, including playing a Japanese kabuki actor in the Marlon Brando film Sayonara based on the James Michener book. Montalban appeared on Wagon Train, Bonanza, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, The Man from Uncle, and The Wild Wild West. You see what we did there, loyal listeners? 
But then in 1967, Ricardo Montalban would be cast in perhaps one of his two most famous roles of his career, that of Khan, in an episode of the TV show Star Trek titled Space Seed. Although at the time of the show's original airing, it was just another job that came and went. Montalban continued to work in television on Mission Impossible and Hawaii Five-O, Here's Lucy, The Carol Burnett Show, Laugh-In, Hollywood Squares, and a variety of made-for-TV movies. And Montalban returned to the big screen in 1972, where he appeared in Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Now off-screen, Montalban founded Nosotros, an organization that worked to assist Hispanic actors and actresses to get better roles in television and film and to help improve their image in Hollywood and really prevent typecasting. Involvement with this organization had some unexpected negative impact on Montalban's career, where he soon found his roles limited in television and motion pictures. Montalban's lack of work did not slow down his acting career because he just returned to the stage. And it was during this time that he was asked by the Chrysler Corporation to be the spokesman for the Cordoba automobile with its fine Corinthian leather. These commercials were so memorable because of Montalban's unique voice and delivery of the car's signature catchphrase that eventually this led Erring Spelling to cast Montalban to be the mysterious host of Fantasy Island in the role of Mr. Rourke. Now, much like The Love Boat, Fantasy Island was originally made for TV as a movie in 1977, and audiences liked the movie, and so they made a sequel to that called Return to Fantasy Island, which did well enough to prompt a full-blown series. The show's producers hoped to get Orson Welles to play the mysterious island host, but Welles said no, so they went with their second choice, Ricardo Montalban. To play the part of Mr. Rourke's assistant, show creators originally envisioned a lovely female assistant. But when you have Ricardo Montalban as your lead, you got enough good looks and charm to hold you till next Tuesday. So the show creators pivoted and came up with an alternate character, Tattoo, who would be Rourke's assistant and a sounding board for each week's activities. It was Aaron Spelling who proposed the idea of casting Tattoo as a little person. Spelling saw the James Bond film, The Man with the Golden Gun, where he saw Hervé Villachez playing the anti-Bond little person, Knickknack. Spelling offered Villachez the role of Tattoo, and television history was made. On a side note, I highly recommend the HBO original movie, My Dinner with Hervé, starring the incredibly talented Peter Dinklage as Hervé Villachez. You really get an insightful, albeit tragic, look at the life of one of television's most recognizable actors, thanks to Hervé Villachez's performance as Tattoo on Fantasy Island. As the popularity of Fantasy Island continued to varying degrees of Nielsen ratings, and after the end of the third season, Montalban was contacted by the producers of Star Trek, which made the leap from the small screen to the big screen in 1979 in Star Trek The Motion Picture. That movie was successful enough that it demanded a sequel, and the director chosen to helm that Star Trek sequel was Nicholas Meyer, a man who'd never seen any of the original Star Trek television series. What in the hell is that all about? Meyer sat down to take a look at some of these old Star Trek episodes, and he found the last lines of an episode titled Space Seed. Remember the one where Montalban played Khan? Well, in this episode, Spock observes to Kirk that it would be interesting to find out what had become of Khan and his followers in a hundred years. Bam, baby! We got ourselves a Star Trek sequel, and we need Montalban back to play Khan! 
Montalban agreed and took a salary of just $100,000. And between the Star Trek sequel and Fantasy Island, Ricardo Montalban's career really reached its apex of popularity. Now, as for Fantasy Island, the TV show, its popularity declined over the years, as happens to all TV shows. Hervé Villachez, well, he left the show over contract disputes in 1983, and his character was replaced by actor Christopher Hewitt, who you may recognize as Mr. Belvedere, sans the mustache. Now, there was a revival of Fantasy Island in 1998 starring Malcolm McDowell as Mr. Rourke. And this revival was produced by Barry Sonnenfeld, who directed Men in Black and those Adams Family feature films. And he also directed the most racist movie ever discussed on Pick 6 Movies, Wild Wild West. In this revival, Mr. Rourke wore all black instead of all white. His number two was Ariel, played by Matchin Amick from Twin Peaks fame. And this show ran for one season, but it got canceled because, as I mentioned earlier, most shows get canceled after their first season. With this revival's cancellation, the last guest packed up their bags, climbed aboard the seaplane, and departed Fantasy Island for good. Until someone got the bright idea to dust off the concept, reimagine the show, and slap it on the big screen. Whether or not you wanted it, or needed it. In 2018, producers announced that a horror film adaptation of the television series Fantasy Island was in development by Bloomhouse Productions and Sony Pictures. Bloomhouse Productions is the company behind multiple high-concept, low-budget, and sometimes incredibly financially successful horror films, such as Paranormal Activity and all of its sequels, and The Purge and all of its sequels, and Insidious and all of its sequels. See, the Bloomhouse business model is to make a bunch of small bets on a wide variety of movies, and then when one hits, you milk that baby for all of the sequels and spinoffs that you can begin to imagine. Tapping into Fantasy Island as a horror film franchise seemed to make complete sense, as it could springboard into multiple movies featuring young, attractive actors that don't cost too much to be in your film, all placed in macabre storylines that exploit the selfish wishes of millennials on this island where people wear bikinis and show off their abs, and at the end, we're gonna kill a bunch of them. The movie was pitched as Westworld meets The Cabin in the Woods. And you know how it is when you put two great things together, you create something even better. It's a surefire formula for 100% success in Hollywood. Jeff Wadlow was not only nabbed to pin the screenplay, he was going to direct the movie and co-produce the film. Now, what qualified Jeff Wadlow to wear so many hats on the adaptation of Fantasy Island? Well, he wrote and directed the sequel to Kick-Ass, aptly titled Kick-Ass 2, and he directed the movie Truth or Dare, the 2018 version film from Bloomhouse, not the 1991 documentary all about Madonna. So he seemed pretty qualified. Filling the suit of Mr. Rourke would be Michael Pena, fresh off of his scene-stealing role as Lewis in the Ant-Man movies, and the big screen adaptation of the TV show Chips, a movie that was a real contender for this season of Pick 6 Movies. Playing the role of Tattoo was nobody. Well, we'll talk about that when Bo gets here in a few minutes. Let's see, who else is in this movie? Pretty Little Liars and Truth or Dare alumni actress Lucy Hale. She shows up to play Melanie. And um, stand-up comedian Jimmy O. Yang, who I know mostly from his work on Silicon Valley. He plays Brax. Michael Rourke, who last appeared on Pick 6 Movies, suffering brain damage while wheelchair racing Tom Cruise down a hallway at a hospital in Days of Thunder. Well, he shows up to play Damon. And the rest of the cast is filled out with attractive young actors and actresses that more than likely have one or two credits involving a show over on the CW. Now, the movie hit theaters over the Valentine's Day weekend in 2020. <laughs> Remember back when movies were released in theaters in 2020? Those were good times. 
And the movie came in third at the box office, right behind that Harley Quinn Birds of Prey movie in the number two slot. And the number one movie of that weekend was Sonic the Hedgehog. The movie was released with a PG-13 rating, which kind of watered down the real exploration of the darker side of Fantasy Island. And against that, anybody who was showing up to see a faithful adaptation of the TV show, well, they were greatly disappointed. And it wasn't well received by audiences or critics broadly. And those uppity snobs over at Rotten Tomatoes, well, they currently have the film with an 8% freshness rating. But that doesn't mean the movie wasn't any good, because you know, only good movies make money. And since this is a Bloomhouse production, the seven million dollar budget raked in 47 million dollars worldwide at the box office making the movie a success film critic peter travers from rolling stone he said the only genuine blood-curdling scream incited by this stupefyingly dull time and money waster comes at the end when the notion dawns that the film is meant to spawn sequels stop it now before it kills again so I know what you're asking. Is there going to be a sequel to the Fantasy Island movie? Are there unanswered questions that demand to be addressed in another PG-13 jump scare And does Victoria Principal, the ghost of Don Knotts, or Charo make a cameo in this film? Well, to answer these questions and many, many more, let's get Bowen here to hold my hand, walk the sandy beaches of Fantasy Island, and make each other's wildest dreams come true as we wrap up episode six of this season's theme as seen on TV. Mr. Rourke? Smiles, everyone. Smiles. No, oh, I couldn't have said it any better. And welcome to Pick 6 Movies. I am Chad Cooper, and I am joined by my erotic, exotic, symbiotic co-host, Mr. Bo Ransdell. Bo, how are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm excited, Chad. I almost started with it like, the podcast, the podcast. Please don't. But then I didn't. But then I said it anyway. I know. I know we say this all the time. This is one of the worst movies we ever uh, but <laughs> this <laughs> this is truly this is, not only is it fucking terrible chad let me paint you a scenario because this is from the year of our lord 2020 which we are in now as we record this this was released at the beginning of the year so there is a scenario mm-hmm. in which some poor schlub went to see fantasy island And then didn't see anything else for a while. And then, you know, pandemic happens. Theaters are shut down. This poor guy gets the COVID or a truck hits him or whatever. And he's dead. Mm -hmm. And the last movie he ever saw in a theater was (laughs) Fantasy Island. And I think that means you can't get into heaven. Welcome, my son. So, what did you do in your last days on Earth? I saw that Fantasy Island movie. (laughs) (laughs) Be gone with you! Yeah, just the cartoon <laughs> devil pops up. Hey, <laughs> you're coming with me! That is the experience of watching Fantasy Island. It's a cartoon devil popping up <laughs> saying, you're coming with me, and then off you go to a hellscape. Were you a fan of the television show Fantasy Island in your younger years? I wasn't really into the, we're going to collect an ensemble of television actors to do guest spots on this show. Right. That wasn't really my jam. I was more in the, hey, the monkey's a president kind of television. I've been watching a lot of reruns of Fantasy Island over on Crackle. Crackle, the streaming service that nobody watches. Proud sponsor of Pick 6 Movies. 
<laughs> and um, I've seen some real doozies as of late. I saw one where uh, Robert Reed, who was Mike Brady on the Brady Bunch, he was actually Dracula as part of his fantasy. That was pretty good. That sounds crazy, and I, I would like to kind of see that. Here's how I need to watch Fancy Island. Drunk and high? I mean, that's a given, Chad. Uh, no, I mean, I need somebody to say, like, this one is fucking bananas. You need to watch this one. Like, Paul Williams comes to Fantasy Island, and... And, and he's a giant. He's in Gulliver's Travels. That's an episode, I'm sure. Right. And so that's the kind of thing I need. I need somebody to vet these episodes. You at least have a foundational knowledge of what the hell's going on. So you could realize that this particular movie did nothing to pay homage to its source material. I mean, it has its moments where it's kind of nodding to the original show, particularly at the end, which is a real groaner. But that's a fart in your mouth. (laughs) Yeah. to leave the movie with that it's really bad we'll get to it but this and the television show are like the book and the movie the shining it is sort of an in name only and there's also some shit that they have in common but otherwise vastly different one is a horror film one is it's an ensemble television show you know a, a, a little play on fantasies uh and most of the time if i recall like i don't remember a specific episode of fantasy island and i think the reason i didn't really care for it is that most episodes were hey i've got this fantasy that's entirely selfish oh wait it turns out that here's how i can make my life better and the lives around me and that's not the kind of television i enjoy i don't like feeling good at the end of a television program right no one's fantasy was ever to exterminate an entire race of people we might as well jump into this fucking thing our movie begins in the jungles of a soundstage or maybe we're in jurassic park and it's one of those like full foliages that are illuminated with perfectly placed lights suitable to make a movie Right. And here, Bo, we see blonde-haired Sloane running through the simulated brush, screaming for help. Bo, she's in trouble, okay? And she makes it to this clearing of this fake jungle, and she sees what looks like an oversized CGI version of the Fantasy Island Beach House. Dare mm-hmm. I call it a mansion. At night, and there's a spooky CGI moon, and there are CGI clouds. There's a whole lot of CGI going on here. Mm-hmm. And so blonde-haired Sloane, she runs into the Beach House mansion, and she's panting, and she's sweating, and she's all out of breath. And blonde-haired Sloane, her full name is Sloane Madison <laughs> and she is actually played by Portia Doubleday. Now, this is one time where I think that swapping the name of the character and the name of the actress playing her would be more believable. I find that Portia Doubleday as played by Sloane Madison to be way more believable than the reverse. Once again, Bo, truth is stranger than fiction. I also think it's odd that she is wearing a prom dress or something here. Apparently, she was originally kidnapped on her way to uh, some sort of dance recital or something. Perhaps. Do you recognize Portia Doubleday? I do not. What has she been in? Well, Bo, welcome her back to Pick 6 Movies because you and I last saw her in the remake of Carrie, Season 9, Episode 6, where Miss Doubleday portrayed Chris, the meanest of the mean girls, who is behind the dumping of blood on Carrie's head. Boy, that's a movie I forgot I watched again. You watched it multiple times and talked to me about it. Yeah, I've seen that movie at least three times now. Mm-hmm. But boy, don't quiz me on it. I won't. Blonde-haired Sloan, she runs into the Fantasy Island Beach House Mansion, and she proceeds to display the skills that got her the award for World's Worst Hide-and-Seeker. Because (laughs) there's a desk in the middle of the room that has no front, and it's wide open in the middle, so blonde-haired Sloan ducks down to hide inside this giant open space. Now, Bo, they don't give out the award for World's Worst Hide-and-Seeker to just anybody. That's an award that's earned. You gotta work 
work for it. Like, that's a, a competitive group. <laughs> Everybody is out there year on year, really given what they got. Uh, or in this case, really what they don't have. There's uh, a lot, you're going to see a lot of flailing, mm -hmm. a lot of use of torches. Mm -hmm. There's a five-year-old just standing in the middle of the room with his hands over his eyes. There's a young man with Tourette's who is really leading the pack. Uh, you know, obviously it's an unfortunate condition, but no one can argue. <laughs> Truly one of the worst hide-and-seekers. <laughs> <laughs> my wife gave me an award once and it said the clean hands and face award and it was this pink ribbon that had a bunny on it now that i say that out loud i think she was being insincere when she gave it to me <laughs> yeah i was just thinking also the bunny maybe not the best representation of cleanliness <laughs> the animals known for digging in the dirt and fucking a lot doesn't necessarily say squeaky clean to me but that's me maybe that's why she gave me the award <laughs> Because of all your burrowing and fucking, you know, everybody's got to have a hobby. Back to our movie. Blonde-haired Sloane, who is literally hiding in plain sight, or as someone calls it, not hiding at all. She gets startled when the phone rings on the nearby table very loudly. Uh -huh. And Bo, this movie is rated PG-13, and therefore it pulls all of its punches when it comes to gore, and it really relies on a steady diet of jump scares to startle young moviegoers with cheap thrills. First among them, this old-timey telephone ringing now that is scary stuff though there's nothing quite as frightening as a telephone ringing unless maybe a cat was startled and yowled at the same time so you get like a ring you know that would have been a good one you know what scares my dog when he farts in his sleep <laughs> it scares me too but why would you build suspense or any threatening sense of danger for a character that audiences care about when you can just drop a loud piercing sound of music while something jumps from the shadows with a nice classic boo this is kind of what what James Wan has done to horror films in a lot of ways. It, it, it's the, we're going to set it up and try to pay it off in a way that maybe you don't exactly expect. And this movie does half of that, where it sets up scares that you totally see coming, but it doesn't have the moves to be arrhythmic with that so that you think the scare's coming and then it doesn't and then it does all of a sudden. And like James Wan's good at that, even though I'm not crazy about those movies. This is just the lowest common denominator kind a horror film it's funhouse loud noises which if that's what you paid for with your ticket they're giving it to you although it's really watered down and maybe that's the thing that's really frustrating about this is not only is it just pablum mm -hmm. it's also toothless pablum should have been rated R and should have been much more hardcore, but we'll get to all that later. Here's the other problem with this whole front scene, Chad, like a, as we're following blonde-haired Madison, as we're following her around. The thing that's frustrating about this is we don't know who she is. We don't know what the fuck is going on. We assume she is the heroine of the film, or at least of the scene, because she's being chased, but other than that, we know nothing. No. So She picks up the phone when it rings. That's what you do, right? Yeah. She's like, please, please, there's no time. I I've been abducted. It's I'm on some crazy island. I think his name is Epstein or Epstein. He, he was a member at Mar-a-Lago. He's got a framed picture of Prince Andrew and Alan Dershowitz all over his office. Come help me. I'll be there in 20 minutes. I like she said, please, in her cries for help. That's good manners, man. You know? Yeah, it just it shows she was raised well. <laughs> I would be a terrible 911 operator because my obsession over people saying please and thank you knows no bounds. If someone just called up and they're like, help, help, my husband's trying to kill me, send help now. I'd be like, send help now. What? <laughs> send help now, motherfucker. No. Send help now, motherfucker. Go on. You know the magic word. Uh, send help now, motherfucker, please. Katow, katow. You know what? 
Your parents raised you wrong. So not only is she exhibiting good manners, when when she's on the phone, there's a voice that's like, help will be on the way, blonde-haired Madison. Right. And she's like, huh? How did you know my name? The voice says, because you are one of my guests. Well, before you can say taken for the takening, a bunch of goons come in, dressed all in black, and they got ski masks. They look like jewelry store burglars in a Spider-Man comic book. And when they show up, they grab blonde-haired Sloan by her legs, and they drag her out from under the desk, because they can clearly see her and she's screaming and yelling as she's being abducted and dragged away and then the camera pans over and we see this nameplate on the desk that says mr rourke and there's a little cobra peeking up behind his desk title card yeah did you notice on his desk there is this full-size taxidermied white cobra and a mongoose doing battle it's like two feet tall i didn't notice that i noticed that he had a copy of the secret uh, on, on his desk, which I thought was uh, was prophetic in its way. Um, <laughs> What's up with all the snake imagery in this movie? Even yeah. this, I'm like, is this a reference to Rudyard Kipling's Ricky Tiki Tavi? And you think like, oh, like snakes are going to be like integral to the movie because they're everywhere in the film, but they're not. It's just like, you know what animals scary? Snakes or spiders. Which one's cheaper? <laughs> snakes. Well, get snakes. <laughs> Shit, that's an easy one. How about rats? Shut up. Snakes. How much did they spend on spiders for Kingdom of the Spiders? Oh, that's pretty pricey. You know, on Bordello of Blood, they only paid for four spiders, but they used them in multiple scenes. Well, do that, but with snakes. To answer your question directly, I don't know why there's all this snake shit. It doesn't really matter other than, like you said, it's just like, guess what's scary? Creepy snakes winding through the underbrush. <laughs> You never see it like it's just the snake symbol. You never, to the best of my knowledge, I don't recall ever seeing an actual snake in this movie. There are snakes in the water when they tromp through the cave. But it's not like, well, this is the source of the island's power. It's <laughs> no. all these creepy snakes. No. It's just like. Maybe it's kind of like Rourke. Someone saw him with a snake and then everyone just started buying him snake shit. Like, you know, somebody that started collecting those troll dolls and then that's all they get for their birthday and Christmas forever in perpetuity where they're like, what the fuck? I had one goddamn fucking troll doll. Now I got a garage full of this shit. Honestly, my stepmom was like that with roosters the number of ceramic roosters in her place it was was sick with them it was like they were getting in the walls and breeding at night people are fucking weird man yeah i know as blonde-haired sloan as she disappears into the night we get the movie's title bloomhouse's fantasy island and you think they had to put bloomhouse up front the way they did that daffy ducks fantastic island just to make sure you don't get the two confused i think they were doing it because they were like if we throw the name on there and also say from the creators of get out and the invisible man which are like two legitimately really good movies they're like hey you know it's the same executive producer it's gonna be just as good right everybody right did you ever see daffy duck's fantastic island of course i saw it dude those warner brother cartoon compilation feature films where they stitched all that old footage together with a bunch of new animation that looked and sounded terrible that was such a disappointment the heartbreak of daffy duck's quack busters <laughs> still kind of hurts but you're right it's like you see those clips from like the the heyday of like the 40s and 50s and then they they cut ahead when mel (laughs) blank is just like can barely hold himself up in the chair and daffy what's up dak (laughs) it's like watching anything from the muppets post dead jim henson you're like why does everybody sound so weird you're despicable <laughs> cut to what is maybe the next day on the sandy beaches of Bloomhouse's fantasy island where we meet julia who is an employee of fantasy island and julia hears an engine in the distance and she looks up into the sky and she says to herself the plane 
And then we see a seaplane arriving and she rushes off to Mr. Rourke, who we meet unceremoniously as he sits at his desk, spinning his wedding ring around and around, only to slip it on his finger and get up to go meet his arriving guest. Yes. Why wouldn't they have Julia say the plane, the plane, the way it was on the TV show? That is the signature catchphrase from the show. If we're just going to start saying, like, why do they do the stupidest possible thing with this scene? This is a film brought to you from the director of Truth or Dare, Chad. This is a deeply untalented man at the helm of this film he directed kick-ass 2 i think i saw that yeah the shitty one the guy's name by the way is jeff wadlow i think i mentioned him in the opening he did cry wolf which is an awful horror film and then like you said kick-ass 2 and then truth or dare which is also a god-awful horror film and then fancy island turns out chad a god-awful horror film everybody's got to be great at something he's great at making terrible movies it's like ed wood without all the pluck not only do we have the plane thing, Rourke, who is Michael Pena in this film, and I like Michael Pena. I think he's a, a very good actor. I think he's really charming and charismatic. He's not very good in this. Dude, he fucks up the only other signature line from the TV show when he walks across the lobby and he says, smiles, everyone. Big pause. Smiles. Like, just <laughs> say the line the way they said it on the TV show every week. It was smiles, everyone smiles. This gets to the essential argument of this film. It's like, who the fuck is this for? People who like the television show are not going to be interested in this interpretation of it. Like Again, something you pointed out in the introduction. And people who want to see a horror film don't give a shit about all these cute little references. And maybe that's why they're kind of underplayed is that the thinking was, well, no one's going to get this anyway. Yeah, but anybody who shows up who seen the original show do it the way they did it there and then you're like oh yeah you're referencing the thing i know when you kind of go off half cocked it's just like just have her on the beach saying the plane the plane have him say smiles everyone smiles don't fuck it up it'd be like if you have santa claus in your movie and he's like ho 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 (laughs) why would you say it that way we're remaking dirty harry uh and he says go ahead enjoy your day right so rourke exits the main building and the camera kind of passes across these three goons and i'm guessing it's the guys that abducted blonde haired sloan earlier and they are not smiling they look like they're on their way to audition for bloom houses the hills have eyes they all look like they could be the illegitimate children of lurch yes and they're all dressed in white garb they look like they belong in a sanitarium from the 1960s as opposed to an (laughs) all-inclusive resort from the year 20 where is Geraldo shoving a microphone in their faces like when was the last time you had a meal (laughs) right just you know balling up shit and throwing it at the camera it's they look crazy and I know that's kind of the point but also when you learn later in the film that you know here's how the the island gets new staff and so there's an explanation for how that happens later really yeah well i can't wait to hear about that later and i've seen this movie multiple times it begs the question early on for me as i i look back at this film <laughs> <laughs> are these constructs of the island or are they actual human beings and if they are why do they look so fucking weird like where is he pulling him in from the four corners for this that's a question that we're going to touch on multiple times
times throughout this conversation. Yeah, that's true. Let's cut to the seaplane where we get to meet our cast of millennial misfits as they disembark one by one. So first we meet Melanie, who's played by Lucy Hale from Truth or Dare fame. And mm-hmm. I guess, is she the star of this movie? I mean, it's either her or kind of Maggie Q, maybe? It's one of them, but whatever. Melanie is the worst. She's everything I dislike about poorly written characters in poorly written movies like this. Because Melanie gets off the plane and she's like, well, this place doesn't suck. This movie feels like a film written by a 65-year-old man for a teenage audience. Because everyone is just full of hip little things to say. Like, it starts with her. And then there's the brothers. We get to meet Brax and JD. JD looks like a young Bob Odenkirk. JD is played by Ryan Hansen, who was on Veronica Mars. I don't know what those words mean, but apparently that was a TV show and a Kickstarter movie. He's this tall white guy. He's got blonde highlights in his hair. And then Brax is Jimmy O. Yang, who's this shorter Asian guy with glasses. JD and Brax, they get off the plane and JD says, yo! And then Brax follows it with lo! So together they're saying YOLO. <laughs> it's a real 2008 scenario for using YOLO, but also they're high five and a lot like already i just hate everybody on this plane (laughs) they're all i just want them all to die Uh, like i as soon as jd and brax started high five and doing the yolo and shit it was like these characters can't die soon enough you completely think they're gonna die okay i'm gonna enjoy watching them get picked off in sinister torturous fashion but that doesn't happen you're right in fact they both live to the end of the movie there is not nearly enough gruesome death because again this PG-13 and also just really poorly written. Hey, let's get laid. And then the lady puts a lay around their neck and they're high-fiving some more. Like, yeah, oh, bro. It's just the worst. So then it's time to meet our other two guests to Bloomhouse's Fantasy Island. We have Patrick Sullivan, played by Austin Stoll, who was in those Dolphin Tale movies, uh, or so I've been told. And he was in Whiplash and he was in Colossal and a bunch of other movies that I never saw. Hmm. And it, But in this movie, his name is Patrick Sullivan. And uh, both fun fact, I worked at a restaurant called Patrick Sullivan's when I was in college and in that restaurant that is where I saw the infamous OJ Simpson slow speed Bronco chase oh you never forget where you were during great moments of history. Yeah, that truly was one of the <laughs> finest moments of the 20th century. The thing that was crazy about that was if it had not been OJ Simpson, <laughs> that truck would have been riddled with bullets and the people inside dead well before it ever got to a, a freeway. Patrick Sullivan turns around to the plane and he helps Gwen Olsen off the plane as played by Maggie Q. And she was in one of those Divergent movies and she was on the TV show Designated Survivor and she was also in Live Free or Die Hard. And she's got a pretty lengthy list of nice credits to her name. But here, Maggie Q is Gwen Olsen and she's this thin, tall, elegant woman in a floppy hat. And when Gwen Olsen gets off the plane, Patrick Sullivan turns around and he says, here, let me give you a hand. He's a real gentleman. So we got the roll call of our Bloomhouse fantasy island misfits we have melanie the rash woman with kind of Mm -hmm. a chip on her shoulder we got jd and brax the obnoxious brothers tall white guy short asian guy we got patrick sullivan the handsome gentlemanly type and gwen olsen our slender woman with a floppy hat we got everybody covered that's everybody julia the employee from the beach that we saw earlier she comes out and she says congratulations on winning the contest 
this weekend you will be VIPs. Now, Bo, I don't have a problem with this movie taking liberties with diverting from the original framework of the TV show. Because on the show, people would pay money to visit Fantasy Island. But in this movie, all of five of our guests are apparently contest winners. Where do you enter this contest, Bo? Not only where do you enter the contest, this is like in the post-Fire Island war, uh, world where, you know, you would think that something like the Fire Festival would inform something like this and you could maybe make a little bit of a satire about young young people with Instagram accounts and stuff getting free shit and being terrible and seeing them murdered and there's some kind of fun in that. And instead, these characters are presented as the heroes, which again, flies in the face of everything I, I expected out of this movie, which is throw a bunch of pretty people on this island and then just start picking them off. That's what I expected. That's what I hoped for. I just assumed they entered some contest on the internet with a tie-in from Tropical Smoothie or AdamEve.com or something like that. And <laughs> If you buy two adult videos, you're automatically entered for a chance to win an <laughs> island getaway. We know JD and Braggs are certainly filling the cart. They've got multiple entries. Speaking of the internet, Julia says, in return for your VIP treatment, all we ask is that you brag about us online. And Melanie, who is hammering her free cocktails, she takes a slug off this drink and she's like, uh, marketing 101 as if. God, it's so bad, man. I hate these characters so much. Every one of them is just begging for a punch in the face. Julia says, I'm the assistant to Mr. Rourke. And then Patrick Sullivan, our corn-fed handsome charmer, he chimes in. He says, yeah, what's his story? And Julia says, I couldn't begin to tell you. And then Brax jumps in and he says, Rourke's family bought the island for a few cases of rum back in the day. Which, speaking of rum, Melanie has got more booze in her. And she chimes (laughs) in, I heard he was an angel investor in the 90s and he got bored and i'm bored and i need another drink julia rightfully is like maybe i should get you all to your rooms because i think (laughs) this one needs to sleep it off gwen actually says so he opened up an amusement park and i'm like wait is this what gwen thinks this is an amusement park is she one of those kids who had parents that were fundamentalist hippies and they would take her to state parks and tell her that that's what an amusement park was they're like hey gwenny look over there it's mickey mouse what where Oh, you just missed him. He ran behind those trees. Why don't you go dig us a hole? One cubit by one cubit by two cubits. That's where we're all going to void our boughs and make water during our visit to Outdoor World, the most naturific amusement park that God ever created, Gwenny. Mommy, Daddy, a man dressed like a bear wants to hug me. That's not a man. <laughs> That's your uncle. Uncle Grizzly, they call him. Julia says that this island is much more. Here, anything and everything is possible. And also, Bo, Mr. Mr. Rourke should be greeting his guests and giving all of this backstory. He should not be delegating this to Julia. I think that Michael Pena is terrible as Mr. Rourke in this film. Mr. Rourke should have that quality where you can't tell if he's a good guy or a bad guy. He should be deceptively charming. Mm -hmm. I think that Michael Pena was chosen because of those Ant-Man movies and he didn't cost a whole hell of a lot of money. It's so tough to tell because I generally like him in films. This is just so shittily written. I'm just not sure what he can do with this, but I I think you're right. Did you see My Dinner with Hervé? I did not. Andy Garcia plays Ricardo Montalban in that film, and he's much better in that portrayal than Michael Pena is in this one. Let me ask you a question. Uh Uh-huh. Are you telling me that you don't think that they couldn't have ponied up a few more dollars and reached out to Gary Oldman or Christian Bale, Michael Caine? Nicholas Cage, Keanu Reeves. If you want to jack up the creep factor, go get Kevin Spacey out of forced retirement. You know? 
Hell, no. if you really want to do it right, get Morgan Freeman in there. Nix this whole bullshit backstory and have him do the flip side of his God character from those Evan Almighty movies. That would have been good. Well, but that breaks the Bloomhouse model, which is we're going to give you $3 million to make this movie. Now, we're going to get all of that back the first weekend. So don't, you know, push yourself. Just take it easy. <laughs> Every now and again, they have a hit and that pays for all this other bullshit. <laughs> Which is the, kind of the Roger Corman model. What's our budget? It's $3 million. And it's in this briefcase. Yes. This is a bunch of lottery tickets. Good luck. <laughs> like, I admire their model to some degree. Famously, Bloomhouse is like, we will give any director $5 million to make a movie. Mm -hmm. that, as long as they're somewhat established. You know, which is how Jordan Peele made Get Out. Like, Bloomhouse gave him $5 million and was like, go see what you can do. And he made a masterpiece. And then this dude comes along and he's like, I think I got an idea for Fantasy Island. They're like, here's $5 million. We don't care. And <laughs> at the end of the day, this is all going to come out in the wash. Like, one of these movies is going to take off and everything else is fine. Brax and JD, they hear their wildest fantasies will come true on the island. They go on a high five rampage. Oh, Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> I, again, I can't overstate how much I hate. At this point in the film, I thought they were lovers. I wasn't sure that they were related to one another. And I was like, oh, the gag here is going to be that they're a couple. Then at the bar, this is the first time where they're like, hey, bro. And I'm like, oh, fuck. These are just way too close brothers. And as someone, Chad, you and I both have brothers. Mm -hmm. Have you ever taken a vacation just you and your brother? God, no. Why would I do that? Right. It's a nightmare scenario. I love my brother. I do. But also, the two of us together doing nothing but looking at each other for seven days on an island? You'd start high-fiving all over the goddamn place. Right, like we turn into JD and Brex. Melody somehow manages to pull her phone out of her pocket with her one hand that's not holding a cocktail, and she's like, oh, no service. I guess everything's not possible in Fantasy Island. Hey, Garson, two more of these and two more for my friends over here. What, you're not drinking? I'll take them. So four for me then, and then just bring a tray and... Just, and it's going to be good. One for each hand. Bring a couple other... Oh, you don't only you only have four employees on the, the restaurant? Um, island? Bring them... You know, just keep, keep them coming. Aren't you a tall drink of water? Uh, how about you get me another tray? I'm double fisting trays tonight. Our happy group of travelers. They all head off to the main beach house mansion, and we see lurking in the bushes, off in the distance, is Michael Rooker. Yeah, just wandered on set is my theory that they never planned to be in the movie. You just got yourself a Michael Rooker infestation on this film. It's like that director from uh, Island of Dr. Moreau, where they kicked <laughs> him off the set, and he just put on a costume and showed up to be in the movie that he was never allowed to make. Yeah, he's like, hey, I was supposed to be... Mr. Roar, but then they didn't pony up enough money, but this jungle was so nice, I just stayed out of here. Dude, he looks so old in this movie. Now, we last saw him playing Murderball in Days of Thunder, Season 10, Episode 4, Pick 6 Movies. Once you strip away all of that blue Yondu makeup from Guardians in the Galaxy, you kind of find this wild-haired old man that looks more like Larry from the Three Stooges. Like, Michael Rooker is famously kind of a crazy person. Uh-huh. And he seems really nice, but he's just kind of... He's just a character. Like, he's one of those guys that seems to have a real particular take on life and, and, and is kind of free 
freewheeling. Mm-hmm. But I like the fact that he's just wandering through the jungle in the background like, I got my eye on all you. And then just disappears for 30 minutes. They go into the main beach house mansion. And before they head off to their rooms, Brax goes over to his brother JD and he says, I can't believe you brought me here, bro. And JD says, it wouldn't be a dream vacay without my baby, bro. First off, they use the word vacay as a substitution for vacation. Just let your voice pronounce the final syllable of shun in that word. Second off, these two frat boy rejects, they're terrible characters as we've noted and they only get worse. One, they look like they're 35 years old and they act like they're 19. And I almost forgot to mention that the two-dimensional nature of their characters, well, at first they're two-dimensional. So as the screenplay piles on cliches and failed attempts at character depth mixed in with excessive douchebaggery, it is difficult to find their behavior charming or amusing due to the fact that these two idiots are constantly displaying cringeworthy behavior best suited for like middle school recess like if you saw your kid behaving like this with a friend of his you'd you pull him aside you'd be like hey man come on dude if i saw a strange kid in a target behaving like this i'd walk over to him and be like hey man cut that shit out right act like a human being it's awful and like i said it has even though the writers aren't <laughs> aged men that's what it sounds like it just sounds like you are googling what are the hip things kids say today Vay- AK. <laughs> All right. Uh, YOLO. <laughs> Swag. All right. I think we got a place for that in Act 2. Uh, Pond? What the <laughs> hell? Who got canceled? Is that a television program? No, a person got canceled. Well, how does that happen? TikTok. That's just the sound my watch makes. I, I'm going to clarify a couple of details. JD is the winner <laughs> of this contest, right? Yeah, I, yeah, sure. And he could bring a guest? Why doesn't everybody else have a guest? Look, we're paying fast and loose with the writing on this one, man. We're in real first draft and done territory <laughs> with this movie. It's amazing that everything was spelled reasonably close and that kind of thing. The names are consistent. I'm surprised that the actors don't change halfway through, like Bewitched or Rose. I'm like, what the fuck are they doing here? Suddenly JD is Brax. You're just like, oh, okay. Well, I guess it's a very, you know, lost highway kind of thing we're doing here. Fascinating. When does Balthazar Getty get here? Patrick Sullivan, our handsome bohunk, he's escorted to his beachside bungalow by one of the hired goons. He's dressed in his all-white creepy gear. He's ready to take care of any bellhop or impromptu straitjacket needs that may arise for handsome Patrick Sullivan. And this tall skinny goon in white, he's wearing pants that are a good 12 inches too short for him. (laughs) But they're not short enough to be culottes for a man. He looks like this bizarro Frankenstein's monster. And this goon hangs around after setting Patrick Sullivan's bag on the floor next to the bed, lingering around the way a bellhop will do. And then Patrick Sullivan turns around. He's like, oh, sorry. Uh, And he goes in to give some money to give him a tip. And then this creepy guy goes, no tipping allowed. And then the goon leaves. Why would you stick around if you're if you're not looking for a tip? He was waiting to see if the guy started to get undressed. This is what I like. I think he was waiting for a, a handshake. And then when Patrick Sullivan reached out to shake his hand, he'd yank back his hand and go, psych! Make him look like a damn fool, Bo. You know, but a guy that big is never going to be fast enough to pull that off. Like, he's going to be in mid-motion, and suddenly the guy's shaking his hand, and he's just like, <laughs> You rang. It's a real, a real you rang vibe that this crew of miscreants has <laughs> at Fantasy Island. Patrick Sullivan, he changes his clothes and starts by taking off his shirt, and we get a little beefcake chest action, and we see that he has dog tags around his neck, Bo, so we know it has some military connection. Let's cut over to drunk Melanie's room where she somehow manages to open up her luggage and she pulls out this 8x10 frame picture of Melanie and another man who we will later find out is named Nick. So 
to confuse things even more, the photo of Melanie has her with jet black hair, but in our movie, she has blonde hair. And I don't know if this is an attempt to show the picture of her as being a little bit younger, but it only opens the door for confusion because I was asking, one, who is this guy? And while we're on the subject, who is this girl that he has his arm around? Is that Melanie? It can't be Melanie because I can see both of her hands and neither of them are holding a container of booze. I mean, if you're suggesting to me that all white people look the same, I'm right there with you, man. I can't tell them apart for the life of me. (laughs) This movie tips its hand way too early where you're like, oh, okay, well, we're not learning anything about the guy in this picture. That's important because nothing in this movie happens without it being a critical plot detail or a stupid joke about being bros. This movie isn't clever enough to do MacGuffins, really. No. Melanie starts as our mysterious character and ends as our mysterious character. It's like, I mean, do we want to give this away? Do we nope. want to just... Say, all right, nope. all right. I, I receive so many emails that say, Dear Bo and Chad, I love listening to your show because I don't have to watch these terrible movies. You right. sum them up in hilarious fashion for me. Sincerely, your dead mom. Well, now I can't spoil this or I'll be haunted by ceramic roosters. I don't give a shit if you spoil it. All right, so... Melanie is our villain. Right. And immediately we know that there's something up with her because of this picture. Did you see in the picture that she and Nick, they're in a coffee shop and on the sign it's promoting fair trade coffee? Because this movie is real woke on all kinds of social issues. Also, it doesn't make any fucking sense because they never had a date. No, they did have a date where he said, uh, I guess you're kind of pretty. Maybe we could go out again. And then just the wheels fell off of her life. I guess this was all the pictures she has. Who took it? You think the barista on their first date? Here, take a picture of me. Make sure you get in front of the sign that says fair trade. Hashtag YOLO. Hashtag vacay. What's your name? Jeff? Jeff? Here, take my phone and I want you to take a picture of us. Yeah, no, I'm going to marry this guy. (laughs) What kind of coffee did you get? Mine's Irish coffee. (laughs) I call this a kiki coffee because it's got tequila. Um, they don't serve alcohol here, Melanie. It's fine. I brought my own. I've always got a couple in my purse. uh, Melanie, um, a couple means two. I saw five. Hey, hey, you're pretty. You're pretty too. Maybe, maybe we could go out again, uh, again sometime. Yes. So yes. Call me later. I'm going to go back to hang out with my two roommates who high five all the time. That sounds good. Great. Maybe we could take a vacay or do some YOLO. Okay, it's good seeing you, Mel. Good seeing you. Good seeing you. (laughs) Guy just like chunks his phone (laughs) off into the bushes and runs off. Yeah, steps on the SIM card like he's (laughs) trying to get away from Interpol. Bo, if you won a contest and they said that your prize is that you could have the wildest fantasy you've ever dreamed of come true, wouldn't that feel a little bit suspicious or at least make you think you got to sit through a timeshare spiel? Also, who's got the energy for something like that, Chad? Your wildest fantasy will come true. Let me tell you what I want. I'm going to go and be left the fuck alone for a week. Yeah. How about this? How about somebody finish my basement? That's my fantasy. I don't give a shit about jungles or threesomes at a drug mansion or whatever give a shit about any of that here's my wildest fantasy go fuck yourself all right (laughs) 
Yeah. Let me watch you go fuck yourself. Why don't you go do it? And I'll, I'll assume that you completed the task. Right. Do me a favor. Send me the YouTube link. I ain't leaving. So we cut to Gwen Olsen and her floppy hat. And she and Julia, they arrive at this like large, elegant room. And Julia, the Fantasy Island employee, she tells Gwen Olsen, look, I'm new here. And I don't know how Mr. Rourke fulfills anyone's fantasy. Julia says, look, but what I do know is your life's about to change forever. And I hope that you're ready. And it's kind of ominous the way that she says it. Then Julia, the assistant, she wanders off and leaves Gwen's bungalow and as Julia leaves her nose starts bleeding and Bo we don't know if this is a I'm dying brain tumor nosebleed or a David Keith psychic powers fire starter nosebleed right which is what I always assume when someone has a nosebleed <laughs> did he just fuck with my head listen Bo you're about to go to Taco Bell and get me a number four make sure that Pepsi's that I, well I don't need to go to Taco Bell <laughs> no you really want to go yes I do want to go you're, you're right back in the bungalow Gwen Olson she loses the floppy hat and she strips down to her bra and her panties and then she wanders through this luxurious bungalow and on the ground we see wet footprints on the floor and then Gwen goes over and she looks in a mirror and then behind her Gwen sees a burned up guy standing behind her and she spins around and there's kind of a jump scare but then the guy's gone yes we cut back to the main beach house where Melanie she is literally double fisting cocktails <laughs> in this scene and it's just chit chatting away with jd and brex like what's your damage what are you guys doing here dude ordering a double is totally acceptable carrying around a drink in each hand when they're both for you is a cry for help but these drinks are free yeah they're not gonna run out of booze slow down melanie your liver will thank you later just take it easy look i this is a backup for last call all right <laughs> you make last call i Order two more, drink this one, then I got two more. Shady and Brax, they're barking their displeasure at the staff because they haven't been taken to their rooms yet. And then about this time, Patrick Sullivan comes over and he says, you guys are actually brothers? And one's like this six foot Caucasian middle-aged man and the other one's a five four Asian guy. And Patrick Sullivan's question as to how these two men are related isn't that crazy of an inquiry. Maybe they're fraternity brothers, you know, as you pointed out, Bo. Maybe, maybe they're on a beer league softball team. There's a lot of paths that could have these two call each other bro but instead of taking that question at face value jd and brax they just dress down patrick sullivan for being racist and hating asian people and they say that patrick sullivan has a racist haircut uh, that's the one thing i agree with in the film you think he has a racist haircut yeah i do it, it's roughly the same haircut as uh the kid from tokyo drift had uh-huh it's that kind of high and tight sort of affair you knew who had the most racist haircut in cinema ever special agent milton dammers in the frighteners oh yeah that was very hitler-esque and john denver's mop top and oh god patrick and the brothers uh sort out their difference uh-huh and then melanie is like hey you guys says this is fancy island what's your fancy mine's another drink hey lurch I bet you bring me another double. And by double, I'm being toos. We also get a moment where JD calls out Brax with a nickname of T. And Brax bristles at this. He's like, knock it off, man. You know, I hate the nickname T. He's like, whatever, bro. I was in college. Everybody called me T in college. I hate that. I'm not in college anymore. That's because you dropped out, bro. Shut up, man. Whatever, T. Shut up! Hate that nickname! Oh, it's cool, bro. I'm just supporting you. They're, they start spitballing about, like, how does this place make fantasies come true? Like, what is what is the shtick? And Melanie's like, look, I got it. It's virtual reality. You know, it's like, it's like Tupac. Hey, Patrick Sullivan, you're so handsome. Can I buy you a drinks? How about you introduce your little Patrick to my vagina? Ma'am, you sure are forward. Hey, 
Speaking of forward, how about you go to the bar and give me another drink? They cut me off. It'll be a disguise. <laughs> if they ask you who it's for, just say you. But give it to me. And then JD says, no, no, dude. Listen, bro, it's LARPing. <laughs> And then somebody makes a joke about, like, dork. This is one of those things, man, that feels woefully out of touch in so many ways. Because, like, all that weird friend shit that we all made fun of each other for in 1983, nobody gives a shit anymore. Uh-uh. They're LARPers. Fucking great. Whatever. Like, nobody cares. JD proposes, hey, I saw on Reddit that Mr. Rourke pumps the drinks full of hallucinogens. And then Brax, he spits out the booze that was in his mouth into his cocktail glass. And Melanie takes She's like, hey, I'll finish off. I thank you very much. Hey, short stuff. How about if I squeeze you? You think you got any more in there? Give me a kiss. I like the fumes. I'm gonna press your stomach and you just mama bird me. Without any pomp and circumstance, Mr. Rourke decides to wander into our movie. Mr. Rourke's costume is not the fashionable three-piece suit from the TV show with a black tie. He comes out and he's got this untucked Tommy Bahama shirt Mm -hmm. and he's got these pants. It clearly looks like something he would sleep in and he is... He is wearing a jacket, but it appeared to me that it was the kind of thing you put on to hide the ever-present yellow pit stains on your shirt. Rourke wanders up to this fivesome, and he says, Hey, amigos, the only thing in those drinks is rum. Hey, look, we didn't swap names. I'm Rourke, and I run this place, and I'm gonna make your wildest dreams come true. Shit, welcome to Fantasy Fucking Island. Yeah, and they're like, this sounds crazy. What the fuck is going on here? And he's like, listen, baby, on this island? There are two rules, one fantasy per guest, and that the guests see the fantasy through to the end no matter what, even if the fantasies get real fucked up. Because fantasies rarely play out like you expect. Hey, here's a third rule I forgot to mention. Stay out of the South Lagoon, because that's where I shit. Anyway, everybody here has signed their waivers and their NDAs. Good. Let's get this party started, compadres. Fantasy's proper. Everybody's fantasy starts first thing in the morning at an undetermined time. JD says, uh, bro, we haven't even gotten our rooms yet. So I hope you're ready to get a tough but fair Yelp review. That's in this movie, Bo. Ugh. Fantasy Island gets Yelp reviews? Again, this is all just the worst. And then <laughs> Rourke is like, Amigos, I got you covered. Let's get you to your room right now. And then Brax and JD, they follow Rourke off through the dark jungle at night. Which, And as they follow Rourke, Brax calls out the fact that JD's girlfriend left him. And then JD brings up the nickname T again, which doesn't go over well with Brax. Because that's what passes his character development in this movie. And then Mr. Rourke says, Hey, Amigos, you two wrote on your questionnaire that you're fantasy wants to hold on i got your question here here in my pocket hang on a second i got it somewhere let me pull it out and read it make sure i don't get their fantasy wrong all right here it is your fantasy is to have it all well compadres here it is and these three they walk around the corner of this building to see what looks like a red bull sponsored after party for a celebrity dj that's bankrolled by a sizable trust fund and uninterested parents it's a real nightmare scenario where there's babes and booze and a big pool where some guy is using a water jet pack dude there's a jet ski flipping over in the lagoon there's a zip line there are fireworks there's champagne being poured over bikini models asses i mean it just looks like like fucking hell on earth man i mean jd says super on the nose rock you know what (laughs) nothing fancy but i like it 
he filled out a questionnaire. And when asked what your wildest fantasy was, his answer was, I want to have it all. And this is what equates to him as it all. He doesn't add anything here like, no, see, what I meant was I want to be an astronaut. No, it's none of that. It's just I want to snort coke and fuck models and basically live the life of a Hollywood producer for a week. JD is so wrapped up in all of these sexy supermodels. He turns around, looks at Rourke, and he's like, bro, don't forget what I told you about my baby brother Brax. Remember, I told you he's gay. First off, this is JD's fantasy, the older, tall, white brother's mm-hmm. fantasy. And Brax is just tagging along. And number two, Brax is gay? To emphasize this point, Chad. Hey, partner, I got I got what you want on Fantasy Island. You hungry? Braxomatic? <laughs> Head this way. I got a little something for you. A little scrum diddly hunctious, if you know what I mean. Right. In, like, set off to the side of the pool is just a tent full of hunks with bongs and lots of weed. Uh-huh. And I was like, eh, I get it. So he's just going to go in there and get high and fuck these dudes yeah look depending on how good the weed is i might fuck them the worst part of this is that jd and brax they look at each other and they high five and they're like fantasy freaking island this whole thing feels like a more serious version of the schweppes gay beer commercial that chris farley and adam sandler did (laughs) it is that it it is so close to actual parody of itself uh-huh. that it's hard to even reconcile that anyone thought this was a for real movie. Rourke looks at these two idiots and he's like, hey, you do. My work here is done. You need me? Pick up the phone. Give me a jingle. Via con Dios, amigos. And Rome. Off he goes. The party continues and we see Brax hitting this professional grade bong and he looks up across the party of models and jet skiers flip-flopping around and for a brief moment he sees that burned up guy that Gwen Olsen saw in the mirror earlier he kind of gets spooked and he's like bro I'm totally switching to CBD every line in this movie just makes me want to punch a child I hate it so much <laughs> so then that we cut over to the next morning where Maggie Q Gwen Olsen Gwen Olsen wakes up to uh this guy in her bedroom and she's like Rourke wants to see you. Dude, could you imagine being in a room where you wake up and this creepy eight and a half foot tall short pant white guy in ill-fitting clothes is just standing there watching you? I was wondering whether or not Gwen Olsen might have let one of those early morning wake-up farts where she's just like <laughs> laying there under her comforter, just filling it up, and this guy's just hearing... <laughs> she's like, oh God... Like, oh, I can I can smell the teriyaki pork I ate off those skewers last night. Oh, that's Heineken. I can definitely smell Heineken in that one. Oh, shit. I'm going to have to hide these sheets in the trash can. Yeah, especially after she sees this goon sit in the doorway. <laughs> hey, I'm going to need a shower and you're going to need to change those, those sheets on the bed. We normally don't take tipping, but I clearly want extra money for this. You'll get nothing like it. She goes to see Rourke uh-huh. in his office, and he says, Gwenny! <laughs> I've been grand fantasies for a long time. Most of them want a weird sex stuff, but your questionnaire. Most people scribble out all this weird shit, but you wrote down happiness, and I aren't compatible. Look, Gwenny, that is something that is a challenge, and I like it. I like it a whole lot. And it says here what you want is a do-over. I can do this for you, Gwenny. I can give you a do-over. Right, and she's like, well, uh, what I want is I want my old guy, this guy named Alan, that she almost married. Mm -hmm. I got it. Keep going. (laughs) And, you know, she always imagined that they would have uh, a girl. You want to marry him or just have a baby with him? 
I'm good either way. It's your fantasy, sweetheart. <laughs> Rourke is just like, I'll tell you what, I like where your head's at. Why don't you take a look down the hallway, fix your peepers on them double doors. On the other side is your fantasy. Gwen also walks through these double doors. And as she's going down, there's like this black dripping water. You think that's going to matter, and it doesn't. It kind of does, but it doesn't. Yeah. And she goes through these double doors, and she's transported back in time to the restaurant on the night where Alan, her ex, asked her to marry him five years ago. So Alan's there, and she's getting her do-over and the whole time Gwen thinks that they flew Alan to be there with her and it's present day but she slowly comes to realize that she is in the past and she is on the actual night where she refused his proposal and then Gwen gets up from the table and she runs over to Rourke who's hanging out at the hostess stand he's like hey sweetheart you know I run this place right (laughs) and Gwen's like hey Rourke, what's the point of this? It's not real. And Rourke says, hey, look, Gwenny, there are two ways that you can chase away regret. Tequila and forgiveness. I wrote that. You can keep that one if you want. All right. Now, get over there and tell that man you'll marry him and forgive yourself for making stupid choices. Now, get! So we cut to Melanie, who is drinking a martini at what appears to be 10 a.m. in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is a little hair of the dog of the hair of the dog. You know, at least try to appear like you're hiding your addiction. Order a Bloody Mary. Pretend you're getting some vegetables and nutrients into your body. And no, Melanie, olives do not count as a vegetable. How about vodka and cranberry juice? No. (laughs) Patrick Sullivan wanders over and he's got his dog tags just hanging outside of his shirt, begging to be the subject of conversation. So Melanie. (laughs) What a fucking douchebag move. If you ever see somebody who is not in the military wearing dog tags, you have full permission to push them into traffic. Melanie, still drunk from the last six months, she says, so what's your fancy? And Patrick Sullivan says, always wanted to enlist, but my mom said no. So I became a cop, but there was an incident. Nothing that we need to talk about in act one of this movie, but I got stuck behind a desk and this came around and i figured hey this is my chance to play soldier even if it's just with actors with blanks in their guns i I like the fact that when he's like my mama said i shouldn't be a soldier so i still wanted to lord authority over others so i became a cop (laughs) you're like yeah naturally this all fits this stereotype of this character for sure melanie is like guess what no guess i'm gonna turn the tables on this bully she put toilet water on my head and then i wrote a bunch of therapy letters you know like you do and she got i've I've never heard of that but i i'm guessing that is a thing you are so pretty and so dumb and i love it i see you have a martini glass in your hand what is in your other hand behind your back whoop martini number two hey look they're having a little party um would you like me to get you a glass of water ma'am i'll tell you what you give me a glass give me some water put a little scotch in that and you got yourself a deal keep out the water double the glass bring the bottle (laughs) do you have a flagon do you know what a flagon is i want one of those of scotch patrick sullivan says so uh changing the subject uh they dumped toilet water on you how did you know it was toilet water ma'am and melanie says because there were turds in paper that you used to wipe your front door or your back door and all the water smelled like pee pee and then i wrote these letters to all the people in school that i want to be friends with Oh, and the this girl who was so mean to me her name was blonde haired sloan she found letters guess what she did she plastered them all over her cafeteria, and she, I was called the I was called the psycho soccer. I want blonde hair Sloan to get turb water on her head. That's my fantasy. Yeah, and he's just like, uh huh, 
Um, hey, Mr. Rourke, there you are. Hey, amigos. Hey, old so-and-so, uh, are you here to take her away? Hey, uh, look at you, Millie. Little hair that all there, sweet cheeks. Let's say we get your fantasy started. There's an elevator inside that building. Hop in, push the bottom button with the creepy snake on it, and off you go, sweetheart. And this is where shit completely stops making sense. If you think about it for two seconds. She asks him, hey, can I record my fantasy on my phone? Because when I drink a whole lot, I don't remember things. And I I want to remember this because it's so cool. Mrs. Rourke, can I record it? And Rourke's like, hey, Sugar Lumps, it's your fantasy. I'm just living it. You do you. Hey, does this elevator go up or down? Just push the snake. All right. The one at the bottom. Ooh, sexy. So she goes down this elevator by hitting the snake button. I like that the music in the elevator is the Fantasy Island theme song. Oh, I didn't even recognize that. It's a nice little touch. There's some more of this blood dripping stuff in the elevator. It's black water, man. It's not blood. Yeah, keep on rolling. The floor then she gets to is like a sub-sub basement. It looks like the set of Hostel. It does, and and it's like this basement storage room with a bunch of old control panels like the fucking China Syndrome or something. Uh Uh-huh. And then there's this selfie POV where she's setting up her camera to record her hitting a bunch of buttons on this thing. She's like, ooh, buttons. Look at how these buttons are so pretty. The conversation she has with herself makes no fucking sense. Uh Uh-uh. Because, again, the whole overarching story of this is that Melanie, because of what happened to this Nick guy and her drinking, has led her to this place where she has orchestrated all of these people to come to the island so she can exact this revenge. You are pointing out the flaw of this film having reached the end of the narrative right everything she says and does here doesn't make any sense at all when you understand the bigger picture that she has coerced all these people to get there so that she can torture all of them yes it is a performance she is giving for no one i understand why she has to behave a certain way in front of blonde-headed sloan but for her to behave this way when no one is watching is nonsense let me throw a monkey wrench into your already grinding gears So she pushes a button and a light comes on in a room and blonde haired Sloan is tied up to this chair. And my question to you, Bo, is that blonde haired Sloan, she's a real person who was abducted from the United States mainland and brought to this island so that Melanie can torture her. Yes. So are all of the other people on Fantasy Island real people or manifestations of the island's power? You touched on this earlier, but are all the supermodels and the jet ski backflippers and the homosexual dope smokers that Brax is having fantastic sex with, are they real or are they pretend? I think this is all pretend. Why not make blonde-haired Sloan pretend? She could torture this person without it actually being the real person. Well, but that's not Melanie's actual fantasy. Her fantasy is to get actual Sloan and actual JD and actual Brax and all that here. Like everybody who arrived on the plane and or was kidnapped and brought to the island, they have to be real for her fantasy to be true. What you said makes sense, but none of this makes sense. But again, this is all crazy because she is making a show of like, I don't know how all these buttons work. Let's hit this one. I'm gonna push this button. And like blonde haired Sloan, she gets zapped in the arm with some electricity and then she pushes another button and poo water pours down on blonde haired sloan's head and then melanie hits another button and a video starts playing on these uh, giant tv screens and it's a recording of blonde haired sloan in a bedroom with a man and drunk melanie says she's like wow that's not her husband oh my gosh she's having an affair oh wait look here's the post to facebook button Uh oh boop 
And then all of a sudden, like, social media is filled with images of blonde-haired Sloan fucking this guy that's not her husband. How does Melanie know who blonde-haired Sloan's husband is? Because if they went to high school together, and this is a few years later, Melanie said that she was unfairly branded as a psycho stalker with the whole posting of the letters. But if she knows who this person's husband is and she's following her on social media, she's kind of a cuckoo. She is 100% a a grade-A wackadoodle in this movie like she is a crazy person no doubt about it where did the footage of blonde haired sloan and this other guy fucking come from (laughs) did the guy record it because he wanted to you know relive the memories of sex with blonde haired sloan or is this a fabrication of the island is it real video what are the stakes here bro because this is important i need a record of that time i i had sex with a girl who kind of looks like amanda seafried (laughs) so i took the video yeah i don't know And, and then to ramp up the unknown stakes here there's a call like her husband we we see a video of sloan's husband it's got to be a live feed right yeah so there is a camera in the home of blonde haired sloan's husband's house right watching him as he happens to be sitting on a couch next to a coffee table looking at facebook now watching the video full screen mind you uh-huh. of his wife fucking another man that's right but then the phone rings he picks it up and he's like hello and there's a woman on the phone that sounds like Sloan. Right. And he's like, hey, where have you been the past couple of days? Who's calling him? I I mean, one of the island mannequins or whatever that it creates. You know the sound of your significant other? It, all right, whatever. Just keep going. It, this movie is so lazily written. Anyway, her husband says, where have you been the past few days? And then Melanie, she's watching this video. She's like, last few days? What? Wait a minute. The last few days? We've been here for a few days or something, I think. Maybe a day? I, wait. I think that that's a real blonde hair. Sloan in the chair. And I'm so thirsty. <laughs> this is where it's like, who are you doing this for? Because she's like, hey, Mr. Rark. Hey, it's me, Melanie. Guess what? I didn't know this was real. I think it's real. I didn't know it was real. Is room service free? Also, who do I have to blow to get a drink around here in the basement? <laughs> Then she says, like, I never thought somebody would kidnap her. I never thought they'd do that. I never thought they would hurt her. And <laughs> starts drunk crying naturally. But again, who is this performance for? Us, the audience. Honestly, it's there to misdirect us as the audience so that we don't think that she is our ultimate bad guy. Right. But then when you find out she's the bad guy, then it don't make no sense. You know, the the movie that did this perfectly, speaking of uh, the, the creepy Kevin Spacey from earlier, is The Usual Suspects, where the information was in front of you the entire time, mm-hmm. and you just never put it together until the movie tells you what's happening, and it all makes sense. Like, you go back through Usual Suspects, and then, like, everything adds up. Like, all the pieces fit neatly together, and you understand the larger scope of the film. This movie just doesn't have nearly the chops for that, so like you said- Could. It, it absolutely could. Like Again, if you did a second, perhaps even a third draft, Chad, you might actually erase the stuff that doesn't make sense. But it's like the writers never went back to act one when they, they hit act three. So we cut to Rourke and Patrick Sullivan, and they're out in the daytime jungle. And Patrick Sullivan, he gets out and says, Call of Duty time. 
here this movie reveals its true colors because so much of this film feels like it was inspired by video games yeah but not very good ones no like even the call of duty reference here implies something much more dramatic and narratively satisfying Rourke is just like i got a great idea how about you take this here backpack there's some fatigues you head in the jungle just start walking and you are gonna know when your fantasy begins buckaroo that's it it's just like here's some shit go walking and then you're fantasy will happen right michael rooker shows back up he pops out of the woods with a machete hey this place ain't what it seems people die here you gotta listen to me Ah! (laughs) right didn't michael rooker just walk walk onto the set what is he doing here (laughs) hey oh soldiers i gotta go oh shit there's too many of them see you later stranger does he understand their actors no it's Never mind. You, Michael's just doing his own thing this month. <laughs> Patrick Sullivan immediately gets captured by four American soldiers. So the movie just is like, oh, cut back to the Red Bull party mansion. And here, JD is asking Brax if he had fun having sex with a smooth-skinned man with rippling muscles named Alejandro the night before. And Brax says... I'm surprised he can even still stand. I'm like, what would you do in the bedroom that would prevent him from standing? I don't know. Uh, put his penis in that guy's asshole a number of times. So much so that he can't stand up? Yes! Are you kidding me? If he's really going after it, sure. You've led a much more adventurous life than I have. I have read articles. Maybe that's the kind of sex they were talking about in Bordello of Blood where you drag yourself home three days later. <laughs> that's right. Because you can't stand up. Brax is like, they'll do things to you in that tent <laughs> jd says i'm surprised he wasn't turned off by your terrible ink bra and Bragg says i can't wait to get that lasered off bro my question for you is but why are we talking about tattoos for no obvious reason here Bo? why would they bring up tattoos well because we're laying the groundwork to set up a, a fantastic finishing joke and as they're they're talking about their tatted up dude for Brax and the sexy bimbo for JD. I saw you talking to that walking Barbie doll bro over there. How'd that go, bro? You know I totally fucked her, bro. She's so hot. You know what her name is, bro? Her name's Chastity, bro. And that name, bro, it totally works on an ironic level, bro. Because Chastity, she's not chased, bro. She's not chased at all, bro. I gotta tell you, bro. I really thought I was going to come out of that with crabs. It really is a fantasy. Who names their daughter Chastity? Nobody does. It is the name she adopted when she took the pole. Up next, Chastity. What should we name our daughter, mother? Chastity? Virginia? Don't fuck Amina? (laughs) We get a little more rich backstory on these two frat house idiots. And we learn that JD was dumped by his girlfriend for getting high all the time and playing Mario Kart. And then we learn that their parents disowned Brax when he came out as gay seven years ago because, and I quote, gay wasn't cool back then, Bo. So upcoming is one of my top three least favorite lines in this movie where JD, as he's talking to Brax, Brax tells him like, look, sometimes I just worry, bro. I'm holding you back. And JD says, hold me back, bro. You're not holding me back my life crushes because of you i fucking hate this movie <laughs> i truly thought you were going to reference the next line out of his mouth because he says bro that weed's got you pair of nuts it's intolerable better yet this guy's 43 years old and is using the word crush and he's dressed like he's in fucking 21 chump street you can do one <laughs> of those things but not both and i gotta tell you if you've never seen this movie we're making their characters sound a hell of a lot more entertaining than they are in this film yeah they're just terrible they're like i said it's the schweppes beer guys only using frat speak it is just the worst 
and and <laughs> we thankfully leave those two knuckleheads to get uh-huh. to catch up with Gwen back at the restaurant. Right, she's there with Alan, her guy. Gwen has a real tough time coming around to the idea that this is all some kind of magic because she's still like, "So you know, this isn't the night you propose." And he's like, "What are you talking about? That we're about to get married and have kids, and it'll be a girl, and she'll sell Girl Scout cookies, and I'll be such a pushover." You know what? I'm just gonna do it. Um, ladies and gentlemen, ding, 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 ding. <gasps> Gwen, will you marry me? And Gwen Olsen says, yes, yes, a thousand times yes. Of course I'll marry you. But she still doesn't seem to understand. Like, even, even during this, she's like... You know, it was really nice seeing you again, Alan. It's like, where do you think you are? What do you think is happening right now, Gwen? Let's go back to the Red Bull Party House, where JD and Brax, they're in the master bedroom of the mansion, and they're now dressed up in matching suits, like they're going to make a sad, self-produced reboot of twins. When they emerge with their matching silver suits, they both yell, bling, bling. And a little part of my spirit died. Oh man, these characters are the fucking worst. And they have a fancy handshake too. I mean, everything about these characters just makes me think that everything that has happened in this country prior to now was for naught. This was all a failed experiment if it leads to Fantasy Island. These two clowns find a panic room. And Bo, I'm sure this is going to be very important later in our movie. Spoilers, it's not. (laughs) Then these two dinglings, they go down to the main floor of this mansion and they find an armory and it's straight out of Grand Theft Auto, including wall mounts for guns with with track lighting and there's rocket launchers and grenades on tables. And I'm guessing all of this falls under the umbrella of what a gamer would want if they had it all, which by the way, why wasn't that their fantasy to kind of live in a real life video game? That seems sort of like what they're doing. Right. It's all like I. I need to see JD's questionnaire. Like, what does that say when he says, I want it all. What that means is. What uh, do you like to do? Play video games. What do you want it all? Where do you live? I'm done. This is open to a lot of interpretation. The one thing I do appreciate in this scene is that JD holds a gun like a dick against his pelvis. And I appreciate that when I see it. That's my move. I immediately would have done that. And then they go to to the beach. Grenades in hand. With grenades and and drop them in a pitching machine. Uh Uh-huh. Which is, A, much cooler than the pool ball pitching machine fan uh, deal that we saw in Dukes of Hazzard. Correct. And also is the only thing in this movie that I really want to see. The movie had stopped all the fantasy bullshit here, and it was just them Gallagher style pitching explosives into the ocean. I'm kind of okay with that. It's certainly better than what we got. After this thing blows up in the water, we cut to Patrick Sullivan and his American captors marching him over to meet the lieutenant, and they hear the explosion, which one element of this movie that I really did like was how the fantasies slowly start to overlap one another, and I think this is the first time that that happens. Right. So Patrick is being marched to the lieutenant who, surprise, surprise, Chad, is the dude what is on his dog tags. Is it his brother? Is it his father? Is it his uncle? Let's wait and find out. (laughs) Yeah, the answer may not surprise you. (laughs) And then they start taking fire from an unknown enemy and Patrick calls for Rourke. He's like, hey, this is real. I got shot in the arm a little bit. This is fucked up, Rourke. He stands up in the middle of a firefight, Chad like a mook just waiting to get shot by somebody friendly fire or not which happens do you not understand that like even if you're living your fantasy even if you don't totally buy into it this all looks real (laughs) look at those bullets 
Yeah, I mean, I'd be really scared just standing up in the middle of a clearing like this with all these bullets flying if I if I didn't think this was all made up. Wow, look at that guy's entrails. That looks real. Rourke, you do a great job here, man. Five stars on Yelp. Look at this fella missing an arm, wandering around looking for it. <laughs> that is crazy. That is good special effects. Hey, look at that one. Took off his helmet after he got shot in the in the helmet, and he took it off to look at it, and then got shot right in the head again. That's nuts. That man's his pants are full of piss. You committed to the role. Damn. Wow. I'll tell you, whoever is doing the casting for this, top marks across the board. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is so stupid. So, so we leave him partially shot in this field, and we cut back to our hostile dungeon with Melanie. Thank God. And she's getting a breather phone call. There's a phone in the control room, and it rings. And she picks it up, and the dude's like, <sighs> And then about this time, this monster man comes walking into the torture room with blonde-haired Sloan, and he's wearing a surgical face mask, which, one, why did the phone call happen just now? And is that... Not only because they need a phone later to progress the plot of the film. It has to be, right? Because there's no other point to having it there. Just have the dude walk out. But anyway, so the guy walks out. And the fact that this came out in February of 2020, this doctor with his face mask, he's way ahead of the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. It's to protect her not him uh-huh. okay just consider it melanie she's on the phone just drunkenly screaming about how this isn't what she wanted her fantasy to be and melanie goes over and she's banging on the glass and this mysterious hulking doctor walks over to this two-way mirror he pulls down his face mask and we see that his mouth is sewn shut and it turns out that he is the mysterious doctor torture mm-hmm. that melanie talked about earlier with patrick sullivan and that he was the one that made her write the the letters that turned her into the creepy psycho stalker because she says i wish i could have just sewn his lips shut again this doesn't make sense in the in the greater context of the film but whatever he was her therapist or this is the mutant version of her therapist i don't know that kind of childlike interpretation of of him but then he goes back to work on sloan and he starts cutting yeah. her with a scalpel while melanie is watching and she's like i think i gotta do something this is fucked up she gets on this like it's like a microphone mm-hmm. that has a speaker in the torture room and she's like hey hey is this hey look shh shh hey this is my this is my fancy asshole so um i get on the other side of her and then go over there and then all right stand right there don't move listen here's what i want you to do i want you to cut her ring finger off because that's gonna be great he starts to go for it melanie has basically tricked the dr torture dude to stand near the shock so she drops the flash dance bucket of piss on him and then zaps him with the the buttons on the control panel Uh uh-huh and so she knocks out dr torture and then melanie is like now i gotta get her out of here there how do i get someone free from a room that's all glass hmm how did i get out of that bar two weeks ago last call and i picked up the bar stool and i smashed out the- <gasps> i don't to get out of here <laughs> Yeah, she picks up a, a stool and then busts through the mirrored room. Blonde-haired Sloan is like, Meredith? And she's like, no, it's Melanie, but thanks for nothing. How about that? And then she says, I was kidnapped too. It's so fucking crazy. Just like you. I, I'm not here for a torture fantasy. We're the same. We're best friends. 
we let's hug. You smell like piss and turd. How about we just go wander in the jungle for a while? How's that sound? The bloodheaded slow is like, just wander in the jungle, and she's like, uh-huh. It's gotta be fun. Let's go back to the Red Bull mansion. And JD and Brax, they're doing shots with models in bikinis. There's ladies for JD. There's hunky guys for Brax. And then all of a sudden they hear these gunshots and they all laugh and laugh. And then a laser aims at Brax's boy toy, Alejandro. And then, ktow, down goes Alejandro. And everybody freaks out and they all run to the panic. And so while they're heading to the panic room, Brax calls Rourke. And he's like, uh shots fired what alejandro did hey it's got to be kalashov's men hey he's the hombre who used to own that house hey turns out when you got it all people want to take it all right i came up with that little phrase too you can use it if you want but anyway uh call me later if you need anything bye guys jd uh steps out of the panic room to get his brother into the panic room as soon as he steps out the models shut the fucking door on these two knuckleheads yeah fuck those guys naturally even the island constructs are like these guys are the fucking worst cluck and then the there are these masked invaders that kind of look like video game bad guys kind of it's a little bit the strangers and a little bit that shitty oliver stone movie savages that kind of dio de la morte mask that they're wearing one's a clown one's a pig there's a devil and something else they're stalking around this compound with guns with guns and as soon as they bust into this room jd and brex immediately yell we surrender bro and then they're done one of the challenges that this movie has is that the storylines require it to switch tones from one scene to the next scene like these two are goofballs then we have some watered down torture porn then there's the regretful sorrow of gwen olsen then we cut over to this war movie knockoff you can't build tone or mood to any degree and the film feels very cobbled together and you can pull this off on the tv show fantasy island because that show was naturally interrupted by commercials so cutting from one storyline to another wasn't as jarring this movie constantly feels like it's in first gear and as soon as it tries to shift a second it downshifts back to first and it doesn't help that there is not a single one of these storylines that we're following that is remotely interesting the characters aren't interesting they're stereotypes and they're not even good stereotypes they're not even so over the top that you hate them or well i i kind of hated them but they're not cartoonish they're just sort of wandering around they're like mannequins with the ability to speak i think the the tonal problem is real significant the only character that i'm interested in following in this movie is michael rooker just because i'm curious to see what the fuck he's gonna do next (laughs) but he's only in it for about three and a half minutes total unfortunately because how many fire ants can i eat (laughs) the answer is 22 i'm gonna make it 23 i've been out here eating nothing but bark for 17 days i have not shit in 16 of those speaking of michael work in the jungle let's cut to the jungle yeah where we see blonde-haired sloan and melanie tromping along and blonde-haired sloan starts questioning melanie about hey if we were both kidnapped then how did you escape your captors and melanie's like i am i just got away i was like what's over there and then i ran off and before i left i got a gun and she's like well what did you do with your gun i i probably lost it or shot it in the air and it flew away or something it had a lot of kick you know so i shot it once and it flew into space who would want to kidnap and torture both of us i mean i was popular and you were a loser you know who i'll bet it was i'll bet it was that psycho stalker girl who wrote all those letters to everyone remember that asshole what was her name right and and she's like uh i think it's meredith 
Before Blunt-Headed Sloan can be like, wait a second, are you Meredith? Dude, Melanie has has had a lifetime of seeking revenge on someone who doesn't even remember who she is. It's like the ending of Life Aquatic with Steve Zazu. Yeah, this movie is so similar to uh, a Wes Anderson (laughs) film, that kind of artisanal horror film. (laughs) that you really enjoy everybody's playing an accordion and there's a lot of yellows and golds and so when blonde-headed sloan is like i think it's probably that psycho girl that we knew in in high school sloan immediately gets attacked by dr torture again who has a wireless bone saw one presumes i didn't know they came in that particular model but now i know what's on my wish list can you imagine what the torque is on that it's got to be minimal right i mean it's battery powered one presumes like a lithium ion kind of situation it's just never going to get the the amps that you want nope before he can slice and dice sloan michael rooker appears it's just like uh-huh. hey are you attacking that girl and just stabs dr torture through the gut with his machete forcing the film of course to recast an actor <laughs> And I like a movie that uses Michael Rooker as the cat that yowls when you open a closet. That, like, Michael Rooker just comes out of fucking nowhere in this. Ah! Jesus Christ! And then he looks at these girls and he's like, Hey, come with me, you want to live! So they follow off after this maniac to go who knows where. This balding, curly-haired maniac that appeared from the jungle with a machete. They're just like, you know what? I like the cut of this guy's jib. He's really something. He's starting to impress me. I wonder if he has a flask on him. I'll bet he does. Look at that hair and how red his cheeks are. You know he's got some gin. We cut over to Dr. Torture, who's laying on the ground dead, and his eyes turn black, and then they pop open like rotten grapes, and then black goop squirts out of his eye sockets. Cut back to Gwen Olsen's bungalow, and she's sleeping in her bed, and then the arm of the dead burn guy reaches over and touches her shoulder. Oh, she wakes up with a fright, but it turns out she's safe with Alan, her fiancé. She loves calling him her fiancé. Yeah. sounds so French. My fine and we hear a little more of that liquid dripping and then we cut away i like this is one of those scenes it's like you could have just left this out but then the movie's only 83 minutes and i suppose we got to pat it somehow let's get to patrick sullivan in the jungle he's wandering around and he stumbles into the dead burn guy then there's this flash and then patrick sullivan wakes up it was all a dream though yep and there's an american soldier there taking a picture of patrick sullivan and then the soldier says dazed and confused just like that movie that came out a few weeks ago He's like, whoa, a few weeks ago, Bo, what what year is it? Because Richard Linkletter's Days and Confused was released on September 24th, 1993. This is the year 2020. Whoa, what's going on here, Bo? I'm confused and I'm possibly dazed. Uh, You know, in the three-way tie for stories I don't give a shit about, this is maybe the one I give a shit about the least. Yes, there's some weird time travel thing which doesn't really jive with the rest of the movie, but it has to be here so that we can get the information that he is being taken away to talk to this lieutenant who turns out to be, of course, Chad his father who Uh was sent to venezuela and never came home the lieutenant walks over to patrick sullivan and he says i found this picture of my son in your pocket and you have my dog tags and my eyes and my wife's nose and my young son's wry smile who are you soldier (laughs) yeah and they have this whole like it's like uh, you're testing a clone or something where you give him questions like here's something only my son would know and he says uh, what was your nickname patch Th- then patrick is like no dumbass it wasn't patch it was ali and he's like oh huh, you really must be my grown-up son 
this is quite a pickle. The movie tries to get real sentimental here when these two realize that they're father and son because of this time travel bullshit they're selling us. And again, it's like, why is this movie shifting tone to sentimentality? It's like when all of your food gets mixed together, dessert and appetizer and entree, it, it is a mishmash of indistinguishable bullshit. It's just, it's terrible. Hey, Private, would you like to have a catch? <laughs> Permission to warm my heart, sir. Permission granted. Patrick Sullivan says, There's this island where your fantasies come true, and I said I wanted to be a soldier. But what I really wanted was to see you, Dad. You died in combat, saving your men by jumping on a grenade. I thought you should know this, Dad. <laughs> and the dad's like, Venezuela, soldier. That's where we'll be tomorrow. Fuck that. I don't want to die. This is the one thing I like about this movie is that you have a character that's like, you're going to die heroically tomorrow. Bullshit. You can go fuck yourself. How about I live? How's that sound? That sounds good to this guy. <laughs> I didn't jump on a grenade. I tripped and fell on the grenade. I was trying to get away from it. <laughs> that was bullshit. Look, it was my grenade. It was attached to my belt. Hey, why don't you tell him about how you really lost your sight? Who? <laughs> <laughs> So we come back to Gwen Olsen's bed and she and her fiance, Alan, he's not there. And her phone rings and on it is an image of Gwen Olsen and Alan at their wedding. So Gwen Olsen, she goes outside to show it to Mr. Rourke, who just happens to be passing by and Rourke's like, oh, oh you two make the most adorable couple. I mean, seriously, look at you. You're like something out of a magazine. By the way, while you were sleeping, five years passed and you got a daughter. Don't worry, your JJ snapped back into place. <laughs> Your daughter's over there. Her name's Leela. If you don't believe me, just look at your phone. There's a bunch of photos on there. None of them are of you, you know, naked. We made sure we didn't put that there. But, you know, while you were knocked out of sleep, we kind of doctored all this shit. Anyway, just look at your phone because that's all you need for definitive proof of you having a daughter. Gwen Olsen says, how is this possible? And Rourke says, look, I know this is going to sound batshit crazy, but look, it's the island, sweetie. All right. I had heard about this place a long time ago in this bar uh, in an area that's uh, now known as Juarez, Mexico. <laughs> and me and my old lady, we set out to find this plate. And uh, before we got here, she died, or at least that's what I told the cops. Uh, when we got here, I made a wish for my old lady to be alive or else I was going to go back to jail or to be more precise prison. So my fantasy came true. My old lady, she comes back to life. Blessing and a curse. But I am tortured forever and I got to stay on this shithole island and make other people's fantasies come true. Isn't that some crazy shit? And then thankfully, like Gwen is just looking for a way out of this. And the kid's like, mommy, come play. And she's like, hey, I got to go. Uh, best of luck with that whole wife situation. But <laughs> if you see tell her you didn't see me all right yeah. i'm headed over to the red bull mansion i'm feeling a little anxious if you know what i mean <laughs> More than half the way through this movie, finally Gwen seems to be like, so all this is real? And, it, and Rourke is just like, look, I really felt like I had given you the explanation required for you to make that leap of faith, if you will. But yeah, it is all real. I'll be goddamned. <laughs> what about the restaurant? I swear to God, I have got to go. You are quite the frustrating young lady. That filet, that was a real filet? It wasn't imaginary. Let's go back to the jungle with Patrick Sullivan and his dad. And they're wandering around. And, and then the soldier with the camera, he comes over and snaps a picture of the two of them together. I sure hope we get to see that moment later in the film. But. Oh, we should be so lucky. But uh, apparently the lieutenant, by the way, believes in like the ancient people's belief that it steals his soul or something. Because he's immediately like, hey, who told you to take that picture? Get rid of it. And the guy's like, geez, <laughs> man, I was just taking a, taking a quick snapshot. You know me, I'm a little 
bit of a shutter bug, Lieutenant. Lieutenant Dad. He comes over and he's like, all right, soldier, here's the plan. We're going to desert this platoon and everybody in it. I do not want to die, soldier. Fuck these guys. Right, he's like, Venezuela is that way. We are going this way to Argentina. Because now that I've been made aware of my own impending death, I am rightfully trying to stop it. Patrick Sullivan's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't leave. You're a hero. You're not a coward. Look, I was a cop once and I had a chance to save someone, but I didn't. And I regret it every day of my life. And we're going to talk a lot about this more in the third act. But for right now, you've got to go back to your platoon, soldier dad. And he immediately is like, huh, bull to the shit. I will see you in hell. And starts to take off. And then they wrestle. Like they just have a a, a good old scuffle in this river. And the kid pulls a fucking gun on his dad and is like, I won't let you be a coward. You get back there and sacrifice yourself for those men. Either you kill yourself or I'm going to kill you. That is the threat he's making, right? Nobody can kill. If you're not going to kill yourself, I'll kill you. It's crazy. Like, why does he not want immediately like, yeah, this is a great idea. Let's get the fuck out of here. So we cut back to the two assholes being threatened by the invaders in masks. Uh, One of these masked uh, home invaders pulls off his mask and reveals himself to be uh, son of Anarchy's own Kim Coates, who you've seen in a million things. He looks like old Joaquin Phoenix. He's got a Russian accent in this, too. It's real moose and squirrel. It's really bad. But it's kind of fun. It's one of the few times in the movie I'm like, oh, well, at least something's happening. But the movie doesn't play up the cartoon ridiculousness of what's going on. It seems like it's trying so hard to root it in reality, but it never takes hold. Yeah, and so while Kim Coates is threatening to show them like you know how a good actor behaves he's like i'll tell you what i need the the money if i don't get the money i'm going to take your brother's right hand and the brother's like the money is in the garage bro brax is like i'll go with you bro i'll show you where the money is and he's like all right i'm leaving you with my men i go with moose any tension in this scene is quickly extinguished as the film cuts to a day on the beach with gwen olsen chatting it up with her newborn five-year-old daughter leela and she's yakking it up with her husband and the daughter's there and she's like hey daughter that i've just met maybe you and i can live in a sandcastle together on the beach and the daughter's like you can't live here mommy you know why and then lila runs off and gwen's like what the fuck (laughs) but alan at least says like you know what don't worry about it she won't let me live with her either and gwen is like look this is everything i ever wanted i just wish i deserved it and you're like oh god this that means this story is gonna go on a little longer she heads off to rourke's office and she comes inside and she says i want a new fantasy and rourke's like yep nope no can do one fantasy per person you got your family and we are done here under section 37b of the contract that you signed it states quite clearly that all offers shall become null and void if you can read it for yourself in this photostatic copy quote i the undersigned shall forfeit all rights privileges and licenses herein and herein contained etc etc fax mentis incendium gloria capum etc etc membo bis putorium delectum it's all there black and white clear as crystal you stole fizzy lifting drink you bumped into the ceiling which now has to be washed and sterilized you get nothing you lose gwen olson good day to you i said good day it kind of puts a little ps on there where, where he's like just go enjoy your family while you can. Yeah, you got a family. I ain't got shit. I got a ex-wife running around here, bleeding nose everywhere. Won't let me go 
to the Red Bull Fantasy House to get whatever dalliances I want to get dallied. Get out of here, Gwen Olson. And done no shit. You ask her who she is or who I am, can't tell you a thing. She don't know me. She don't know shit from Shinola. In fact, one day, I shit in my hand and held out Shinola and I said, what is this? And you know what she did? She collapsed. Her nose bled and then she blew, her eyeballs blew out in a spray of black goo. Does your husband, Alan, did his eyes explode into black goo? That's what my wife's eyes do. Wait a minute, you didn't know she's my wife? Shit, that's in the third act. This is a fucking crazy island. Wished I'd never come here. After she leaves, Rourke does this little twist of his ring, which apparently is a signal for the movie to cut back to Michael Rooker and the girls, which is a sitcom that I would dearly love to see. Two girls and a Rooker. Yeah, <laughs> in a Rooker place. So, what kind of crazy adventures we having this week? Well, I'm trying to get a date. I'm trying to date the same guy. Huh, that sounds like a real conundrum i tell you what how about i just shoot him so <laughs> he's leading him through the jungle and he's like we gotta get out of here he has eyes and ears everywhere we gotta hide and i know blind-headed sloan i know you are particularly terrible at this who are you talking about you know the man the man in the house all right so they make their way over to the cave of wonders rooker says hey i know where the source of this island's magical powers are follow me into this dark cave i promise neither of you will be a assaulted sexual or otherwise he tells melanie he's like hey you you probably want to turn on your phone flashlight for this and so she does she's like you can't tell me what to do you have the boss of me why is it so dark in here i'm gonna turn on my phone light (laughs) (laughs) the phone reminds us that she has a boyfriend at a free trade coffee shop because that's her home screen photo right and as they wind their way through the, the tunnels michael rooker's just like yeah i think this is the right way no wait stop back this way nope this way. And so something that looks like blonde-headed Sloan is also stalking blonde-headed Sloan. Yeah, it's like her doppelganger from The Descent in a pretty yellow dress. Right. When it's following her, it disappears, and then we see that it's on the ceiling like a bug. That's creepy. I've never seen that in every movie before. Not since Paul Bettany in the film Priest has uh, a, a person walking on the ceiling been so terrifying. Not since Lionel Richie's music video for Dancing on the Ceiling. Oh, what a feeling when you're stalking on the ceiling. They're going through this tunnel that floods at high tide, which is where Rooker apparently has been hiding. And he's like, that doesn't matter later either. No, it doesn't. And he says, hey, don't freak out because the sea snakes that you're you're walking around, they sense fear. And they are one of the most poisonous creatures on the planet. They're attracted to movement and shaved legs and high-pitched screams from women and cell phones using their flashlight feature. And then we see Melanie look at this little copes uh that is covered by some vines and and she thinks that she sees this burned guy again uh-huh. he's like that's crazy it, did anybody else see a guy who looked like mel gibson from that movie where he has sex with that kid <laughs> <laughs> and, i like that that's how she remembers sure it's a real fuzzy kind of impression of the go of the plot of that film and everybody's like shut up melody you are going to get us all bitten by sea snakes she's like you shut up i'm not gonna bite a sea snake i'll bite you myself look i got venom too it's called a martini if i bite you you're gonna get alcohol poisoning that's what the doctor said to me michael rooker leads her to the, this like chamber that's got the dark crystal <laughs> floating in it sloan sees some kind of like forgiveness fantasy rooker is like this rock is the key to the whole island it infects the water now melanie you take this canteen and you give the gobstopper to slugworth when you get out of here i don't need a canteen i got 
I've got two flasks. I've got one in my pocket, and I got three in my other pocket. Just fill them up with booze. So what's in the water? It's just water, but there's something magic about it. Oh, I've tasted that before. Went to Cozy Mill one time. I've had this. It will make you fucking crazy. I think this is absinthe. Does anybody have a sugar cube? We're gonna we're gonna Percy Shelley this bitch. Also, by the way, I'm a private investigator, and a client offered me a big payday to come here and figure out what happened, so I booked a stay here. That's right, I didn't win a contest, and my fantasy was to see my dead daughter, but not in a pet cemetery kind of way. You know, I wanted to see my daughter where all her skin was intact, and her head was not all scrambled up, but it became a nightmare if you can imagine it. This place is evil, and Mr. Rourke, he's evil, but I know how to stop him. Just take this jug of black water and go and find a phone. Now take this piece of paper. Now there's a number on it. You call it and you tell them Michael Rooker called. Ask to, to speak to Toenail. Now when Toenail answers, you tell him that Michael Rooker, who he met in Salt Lake City back in 1998, said to come and send a seaplane to pick you up. Now he will send the seaplane. It's going to be a red seaplane, not a pink seaplane. And he will land and then you all will be saved okay he is going to make the sound of a whippoorwill exactly three times now on the second time you need to clap together in unison to let him know that it's not me but he still needs to, to take you back you clap like this clap 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 now the best part of all this is melanie mr rourke won't suspect you melanie because you melanie are a guest here on fantasy island isn't that right melanie oh i so totally a guest uh, on the island. I like when people ask me, like, "Are you a guest here?" I'm like, "Is it obvious?" Yeah, and blonde-haired Sloan's like, "Wait, what the fuck? You're a guest here?" Oh wait, wait, wait. no, I was talking about Mer. I was talking about Meredith. Meredith's a guest here, not me. I'm Melanie. I'm not. I don't even. I've never. I got kidnapped, just like you. Blonde-haired Sloan is like, "Wait a second. Are you that crazy psycho girl from high school?" No. I didn't even go to high school with you and her, best friends. You're crazy. But let me ask you this. Are you crazy enough to get me another drink? About this time, Blondheart Sloan, she kind of figures it all. And she's like, wait a minute. You are that crazy person. And Melanie's like, look, those weren't pranks. You torture me for years. I was so traumatized because you guys poured pee-pee and poo-poo water on me. I had to be homeschooled and I had to do all of my schoolwork at my dad's fully stocked wet bar i had a two drink lunch every day i learned all my geography in the afternoons that's why i'm so smart about knowing where places are i know where mexico is tequila i know where russia is vodka <laughs> did you know that they make orange juice without vodka in it i found that out the other day at rehab and then i left to come here i love them i ordered virgin screwdrivers all the time also <laughs> i'm gonna take my next vacay to scotchland i'm gonna go there i can go to england and visit all the beeries and i'm gonna go to the guinness tour and drink dark beer because I don't see color. And when I come back to America, I'm going to go to Jinjinja and West Jinjinja. I'm going to go to North Jambui and South Jambui. I'm going to go to Blue Hawaiian. I'm going to go to California, Arizima, Menagin and Soda. And when I'm done, I'm going to go to Tennessee how much I can drink. My brother lives there. He works at a brewery. Sometimes he'll send me some of the wood to lick. Aged <laughs> in my tummy for 17 years. All right, so we get 
we come back to Gwen now. Oh, yeah. And she finds Julia, like, coughing and is like, hey, do you want some water? And Julia's like, fuck that. Julia says, you know, if your wish was really to have a redo on the thing you regret the most, you don't need a new wish from, what's his name? Mr. Rick? <laughs> He just needs to give you the wish that you asked for for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so Gwen busts into Rourke's office and is like, hey, you need to make good on my fantasy or I'm calling the police or something. Shit, you got me on that one. You've been talking with Julia. God damn it. All right. (laughs) You can have a do-over. Yeah, he's basically like, fine, have your stupid wish. And she goes down the hall again to open the doors, only this time it's the lobby of an apartment building. And there's a fire. Yeah, she's rushing upstairs to stop this fire. It turns out it's in her kitchen due to like her leaving something on the stove. She's going to go put out the fire with a aerosol can fire extinguisher <laughs> under the sink, the shit that they make you have in an apartment when you live in one. She goes for it, but then this big fiery beam falls in front of her so she can't get to the stove and and put out the fire so instead she rushes upstairs to save nick and on her way she passes jd and brax uh on their way up the stairs and she's like hey jd and brax and they're like do we know you bro who are you bro hey bro there's no time to save your xbox save yourself bro get out of this place it's on fire she keeps going and gets to the door but she can't open it because there's a fire inside apparently and she can hear nick calling for her, but the doorknob help my skin is melting I can't breathe. Also, it's very, very, very warm. It's too hot for her to open the door, so she runs to find help and goes down through the lobby out onto the street, and there's Patrick, who is a cop in this reality, or I guess in the real world, and she asks for his help, and he's like, look, lady, don't be a hero. (laughs) And then she's like, fine, I'm going to go save him without you, stupid Patrick. She runs back inside. She gets a hammer, because she's going to bust down the the door with this hammer, and then gets overcome by smoke and, and passes out. And just as things are starting to get good, Cut to Brax being led away to the armory by Kim Coates and another nameless guard. And somehow Brax like gets away from his captors and he dashes into the armory and he grabs this big gun and he shoots a hole through the door, hitting one of the nameless guards. And he yells out, this ain't your fantasy, asshole. Take that. Again, because this movie doesn't know how to like build a moment and then pay it off successfully. Let's go see what Melanie and blonde haired Sloan are up to. Yeah. Michael Rooker and the gals trekking through the jungle. Michael Rooker stops him and he's like, hey, you two seem to have a lot of going on between you. I think now it's time you maybe took a swim in big old lake forgiveness. So they have this moment where they're like, yes, I guess we can forgive each other. Wink. He's like, you know, I never did right by my daughter. And now I'm going to get you two girls off the island. And then out of nowhere, uh, Dr. Torture just flies out of the jungle and stabs Michael Rooker Mm -hmm. and then goes after blonde haired Sloan. And while he's trying to kill blonde haired Sloan, then Michael Rooker tackles the guy, the Dr. Torture dude, just off the side of a fucking mountain, yeah. which is maybe the best part of the whole movie. We're Mary Poppins, y'all. Ah! <laughs> yeah. I hope the check cashes from this. The girls, though, do have Michael Rooker's map, and they're like, hey, I think I can read this. I told you how good I was at geography. So they take off through the jungle, (laughs) presumably back to the resort. And so we leave them to go to another part of the jungle where this platoon is moving, where Patrick is keeping his father at implied gunpoint to march towards his death. You better get in there and jump on that grenade or I'll shoot you in the back of the head, dad. (laughs) Yeah. You be a hero or turn me into a murderer. Son, you do not seem to be processing what happened to you as a child very well. Oh, I'm processing it all right. Private, 
I order you to resolve these issues within yourself. As they come walking around this building in Venezuela, they find themselves right in the courtyard of the Red Bull Party headquarters. And I will say, Bo, upon initial viewing, I really enjoyed this moment where the storylines started to overlap. And I really forgave the inconsistencies of timelines and the who's and the what's. But let me stress, that was upon initial viewing <laughs> that I enjoyed yeah. this. Because as the movie played out, all of that joy was replaced with confusion and bewilderment <laughs> yeah i think the last time i felt joy in this movie was michael rooker jumping off a cliff <laughs> that was fun and then the rest of the movie is just all trash from here on out as far as i'm concerned but at this compound brax tries to get the upper hand by coming out with a grenade he's like yo bro i got this unpinned grenade and kim Coates is like men put down your guns there's no way you're going to get past my men brax is like Oh yeah, bro? What if I put on this mask, bro? Check it out, bro. I'm like five feet tall and I'm wearing a silver suit that matches my brother. But if I go upstairs wearing this awesome mask, there's no way they're going to know it's me, bro. All right? <laughs> my understanding, bro, is that they're basically infants, bro. So they won't look past the mask or slightly south of it to see that I'm not dressed like them, bro. And that I'm way shorter than anyone they knew, bro. But yeah, you're right. Like he marches them upstairs. Meanwhile, the corpse of the guy that Brax shot through the door originally get all black and oily and there's more of that oozing dripping from the sink or something as we see the soldiers right. approaching patrick sees brax with the guys holding holding them hostage with a grenade and he's like wait a second my dad died jumping on a grenade that guy's got a grenade dental plan lisa, lisa needs, needs braces <laughs> dental plan so he sneaks up behind brax i think that's the joke we've made most on Your, this podcast <laughs> it's so apropos in so many situations <laughs> He sneaks up behind Brax and he pulls a gun on these guys. And then Brax is like, whoa, bro, it's me, Brax, bro. And Patrick is like, oh, it is you. Hey, what are you doing in Venezuela? Patrick is like, hey, you got your chocolate in my peanut butter. And Brax is like, hey, you got your peanut butter in my chocolate. And they're like, hey, these are two great fantasies that takes great together, bro. So they end up getting attacked by Kim Coates. And then they're uh, uh, in the struggle, a gun goes off. And we see JD in the room where he's being kept hear the gunshot. But while he's being guarded, the soldiers bust in and shoot the guard that's watching him. The models get freed. Male and female. Male and female. And, uh, and we go to say Brax. But because we're building up to a really stupid conclusion we see that the soldier that got shot up in the room is starting to leak that black stuff too and when everyone's gone he gets up like michael myers the rules of these fantasies and how the game is played is more akin to like calvin ball or whose line is it anyway where the rules are all made up and the points don't matter none of this makes any sense to understand what can and can't happen shit is just crazy there are no rules there's no consistency yeah. Like, I, I'm a big believer that you need, especially for a horror film like this that deals with, like, these sort of dream creatures or whatever you want to call them, tulpas, perhaps, you need to set the rules for it. At some point, that needs to happen, and it can happen here, but it needs to happen, and, and as you said, there's just nobody doing that in this movie where it's like, what these creatures are is this, and if your fantasy goes bad, when Rooker was like, you know, I had my little girl, but then things went bad, and you kind of want to see that happen so that you understand understand the danger that these characters are in instead of it being like an eight-year-old telling you this story where they're just yeah. like and then he got up and then his eyes were black and then the soldier
soldier shot him. But then he got back up and then she started drinking more, just like mom. It's just nonsense. Let's come back to Brax. He's doing hand-to-hand combat with Kim Coates. And I don't know what's happening here. I guess he's able to fight because he's Asian and he's just genetically predisposed <laughs> to be able to fight with hand-to-hand combat like this. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's probably what the producers thought. You know karate, right? Yeah. I mean, like kung fu or something, right? Like, you don't know nothing. That's clear. Patrick shoots one of the invaders, and then his dad shoots Kim Coates. Kim Coates has the grenade in his in his hand at this point. And when he gets shot, the grenade goes up in the air, and it is about to come down. And one would presume, like, oh, maybe this is the point where his father jumps on it. Nope. Brax sees the grenade coming down, and he's like, I got this, bro. And then he jumps and catches the grenade. While they're all standing around celebrating, JD is like, you know what I'm going to do, bro? I'm going to go home, and I'm going to reconcile with my ex-girlfriend, and Everything's going to be way better, bro. This has been the best vacation ever. Katow! And the, yeah, right. Just get shot. And then it, uh, it turns out that all these zombie soldiers are getting up and shooting. They won't go down. So the soldiers and Brax start to retreat. And then Patrick Sullivan sees his dad get gunned down by these zombie bad guys in pig and devil masks. Yeah. I don't understand what's going on here. Right, because Patrick's dad, in theory, is one of them too. One of these other constructs, so why doesn't he why get Why can't up? he get right. up? It just doesn't make any sense. And But he sacrifices himself, in theory, to shoot some of these zombie soldiers and let Patrick and Brax escape. And then we see Kim Coates and his now zombie crew remasking so that you don't have to pay Kim Coates to be there every day. We, this would be so cheap. It really is, man. We're, if there is a quarter, we're going to cut it. We cut back to blonde-haired Sloan and, and Melanie in the jungle, and Melanie's like, wait a second. I just remember something. And Bloodhead Sloan is like, what are you talking about? I mean, first of all, how do you remember anything in the state grid? Uh, you can't form any sort of short-term memories. And she's like, no, 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 no. You remember... When we were calling your husband because of what a slut you are, she's like, yeah, I remember that. And she's like, yeah, there's a telephone. Telef- there was a phone. So we go back there and we get on the phone there and then YOLO, we win. So they go back to this bunker where the torture was happening. And Melanie is like, this is where I thought you were totally a Tupac hologram. But then you didn't rap or sing or anything. And I was like, maybe she's a Sloan hologram. But that didn't make sense either. But I don't know. Do you have any anything on you like a flask or maybe just something that soaked into your shirt while they're trying to get sloan's husband on the phone sloan has this whole speech that she gives her husband about what a terrible person she was and how she treated him and that he certainly has every right to hang up on her but she's in a lot of trouble and blah 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 as she's delivering this apology she's looking at melanie it works on two levels Bo. It is a real two birds, one stone situation Uh where Sloan has somehow figured out how to apologize to two people simultaneously and save herself a lot of trouble. There you go. And I I do admire this. Then the husband is like, you know what? I understand that you've cheated on me, that you have betrayed our trust, but I'm going to call a plane. Click. I'm never fucking calling anybody for her. Right. You know who I'm calling? I'm calling that girl from high school. See, I was creeping on Facebook a little bit, found out she was still single. The first one on Facebook, they gave a thumbs down to the fuck video you just posted. That's who I'm calling. Right. Actually, you know what? I should thank you, Sloan, 
because this has given me a lot more play than I ever had. Well, you know what's so frustrating about this scene? She only calls the husband to call the plane guy toenail. Instead of calling the plane. Instead of just calling the plane so that we could have the apology scene. Yeah, it's real stupid, Chad. Like, hey, how about you get to safety and then you figure out how to make amends with your husband. We're on the clock here, people. Hey, Bo, do you remember earlier when Gwen Olsen got knocked out because of smoke inhalation and she wasn't able to save that guy in the fire? Uh, sounds like something that would have happened in this movie guess what that scene's still happening oh. let's drop in and see what's going on there julia just shows up in this hallway to pull gwen out and she says uh so did you save him and gwen is like nah i fucked up by the way i think this might be someone else's fantasy where's everybody else if this was the moment where i was like whoa 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 what why would she think that i suppose she thinks that because she was unable to save him this is not her fantasy and so it has to be somebody else's is the only thing that i can piece together here. let's go back to the torture dungeon <laughs> yeah and the elevator ding comes down and Brax and Patrick Sullivan they pop out and Melanie and, and Sloan they're very surprised to see him and Melanie's like hey oh my god I know you guys hey where's your your cute brother and they're just like oh he's dead so then everybody runs off to go meet this plane that hopefully Sloan's husband called about but before they can get there Rourke meets them as they come off this elevator with his goons hey amigos look I don't want to be that guy who says I told you so but <laughs> I told you so. I warned you that sometimes fantasies go sideways. No refunds, all sales are final. All right? <laughs> and then Gwen shows up. So everybody is in our final confrontation. Well, everybody except JD. He's mm -hmm. dead. And then Gwen says, actually, we were not brought here to fulfill our fantasies at all. We were brought here to fulfill someone else's fantasy because of Nick Taylor. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're like, Who? Who the hell's Nick Taylor? And Rourke's real noncommittal here. He's just like, yeah, that sounds right. Let's just roll with that for now. But look, uh, I got to be honest with you. All of you are probably going to die. I mean, the, uh, it's really up to the island here. I am not the final judge. It's the, the island that's really running the show here. I'm more of a more of a personality, kind of an MC. I'm like the Guy Fieri of Fantasy Island, all right? Figurehead. Self-imposed title. I don't even get a paycheck. I sell whatever I find that washes up on the shores. I am making a killing in driftwood clocks. During this scene, we get this real Agatha Christie moment where everybody confesses to their connection to the mysterious Nick Taylor. Nick was the roommate of J.D. and Brax, and Nick died in the fire that Gwen started when she didn't turn off the stove, and Patrick Sullivan was the cop at the scene who refused to go help, so now he's all burned up. And then Patrick Sullivan, he was this, you know, unknowing accomplice in Nick's death. And then Brax also told J.D to run out of the apartment because he thought that nick was on a date with a girl and then everybody turns to melanie to get her connection to nick yeah. and, and melanie says what oh my gosh huh nick oh i met nick in this class of mine it was for people with substance abuse issues and he taught me that i was cute and i couldn't believe somebody thought i was so cute but i got cold feet and i so i got a cold six pack and i just canceled the date but he should have been with me and not at home where he died in that fire also the beers i got this is just a little ps um the beers i got were the kind that you know they turn blue when uh it's real cold so that's how i knew they were super cold i you didn't need to know that but if you ever want to know what to get me you can either get me that kind of beer or any beer or be or any other alcohol um and that's and those are my three favorites beer that kind of beer any beer or alcohol 
and I'm okay. And did I t- today's my birthday? If you want to get me some right now, hey, who's up for some shots? And they're like, we can't do shots right now, Melanie. You're like, we're being... Well, I can always do a shot. <laughs> we gotta get out of here. Patrick, like, elbows one of the goons and presumably puts him in a position to sacrifice himself and become a hero for the others. And they take off. But it turns out that they all get to this dock. We see the plane coming in that was promised. And it's like, hey, we're gonna wrap everything up in a tidy uh, hour and 20 minutes in this movie. Oh, I wish. Instead, the zombie, uh, you know, home invaders show up. And they pull out a goddamn RPG chad and blow this plane out of the sky and i'm like hour 22 in now we're talking blowing up planes with rocket launchers did they kill an innocent pilot of a seaplane from the mainland one presumes yes so after this thing blows up our survivors gather in the jungle to kind of figure out they shoot another rocket at our survivors (laughs) that's right that's right but yeah so they're trying to figure out that like oh julia must be melanie proposes this there she's like oh my guys listen i figured i figured all this out julia is next mom they look the same she's black and he's burnt up like a piece of bacon (laughs) look and his mom she's always puking up blood because she ruined like her whole life with booze like me because i throw up blood a lot and i'm a drunk and she's a drunk And that's why Nick thought I was so awesome. But Nick's dead. And that's why Julia brought us all here. Tavis killed. She didn't want me to marry her baby boy and fall in love with him. But I loved him so much. And so somebody raises the idea of like, what if we just go apologize to her? And very quickly, they're like, that's the stupidest idea we've all ever heard. Collectively as a group. Guys, I got a better idea. Let's go blow up the magical black water spring that gives fantasies everybody on the island. I totally know where it is. I've got a magic lamp on my phone that'll guide us. They make their way to this cave and go through, you know, this maze of caverns and stuff. And of course, they all get separated and kind of lost. And visions of bad guys show up, like Dr. Trauma's there, and then blonde-haired Sloan's doppelgangers crawling around. At one point, Melanie says to Patrick Sullivan, hey, why don't you let me hold that grenade for a little while? Because you got so big, handsome muscles. And he's like, you know what? I'd like to give it to you, but I'll just take care of this mighty big explosive pretty lady. You, Melanie drops the canteen that was full of black spring water that they're supposed to smuggle off the island. And I'm like, you know what? I'll bet if that flask was full of old granddad, Melanie wouldn't have dropped it. It'd have been safe as a newborn baby. Well, for a sober mom. Sloan picks up the canteen, though, and as her doppelganger appears behind her. They look like the Olsen twins. <laughs> yeah, because one of them's a little grungy. It looks like she's been up all night. And the other one looks really grungy <laughs> and like she's been up for two days. Yeah. Uh, it's heroin chic without the chic. This doppelganger starts talking smack to blonde-haired Sloan. She's like, you're such a bitch. You're so awful. She's like, mm, I know. Anyway. Yeah, and they just kind of talk until all of a sudden dr torture comes out of nowhere and attacks him sloan has this moment there where she's like you're not real and the doppelganger looks kind of put off by this and i thought oh this is going to be one of those things where it's all a fantasy so if they say oh this this is all in our imagination then everything goes away but i don't know what this moment in this movie is because none of that ever happens and i never i i've seen this movie a couple of times now and i still don't understand what this scene is gwen olsen sees her once upon a time daughter leela the daughter is stabbing her once upon a time husband alan in the eyes or something and then leela looks around she's like mommy you don't deserve anything good you run everything 
my friend was right. And then Leela's friend steps out of the shadows and it turns out that her friend is the burned guy who we now see as Nick, but he's not all burned up. He's like just regular Nick from the photo that we saw on Melanie's phone and in the portrait from her suitcase. Mm. And then Nick tells Gwen Olson, hey man, I'm not doing this. And then Gwen believing this crackpot theory of everybody's favorite drunk that Julia is actually Nick's mom. Then Gwen Olson screams out, Julia, in the and take me and nick's like who the fuck is julia i kind of like that where the ghost is like who what did you say did you say julian i knew a julian but julia i don't i don't know a julia are you talking about julian lennon i like the lot as much as anybody but no this has nothing to do with julian lennon or the lennon family quite frankly you i think you've got the wrong ghost now are you sure it was me that was haunting you while this is going on patrick his father uh, rises from the sea snake water like one of the aliens going after newt they wrestle in the water for a little bit and he ends up choking his zombie dad who disappears as patrick is reeling with the fact that he has just murdered his ghost father melanie appears and it's like hey guess what stab by the way give me that grenade See you later, potato. Because <laughs> the grenade looks kind of like a potato. You know what you can make with potatoes? Booze. My dad, there's a little bit of a childhood story. My dad taught me how to make toilet wine when I was four. He did a little turn, but he came out with some very valuable skills that he passed on to his daughter. By the way, his daughter in this story is me. You know, I found a shortcut. If you really, if you really want to make good toilet wine... Just drink a whole lot, and then when you pee, there's still booze in it. That's a fact. That's why I finished what was in that bucket in the in the basement. It was it was a little tart. Brax and Gwen find each other. He's like, hey, bro, what's going on? Uh, she's like, well, I don't think it's Julia. And then Melanie shows up, and she's like, look, I got a little piece of info for everybody. Definitely not Patrick, who's behind this, because he stabbed she has the grenade and then we see behind her that Dr. Torture and the doppelganger for Sloan appear. Surprise, this is my fantasy. This movie's like Inception, but with alcohol. <laughs> it's like a fantasy inside of a fantasy inside of alcohol. It's like a riddle in inside a rattlesnake. That's the shooter. Watch this. I'm going to spin this empty bottle of vodka and it's just going to keep spinning forever until I pass out. Then the credits are going to roll and you're going to be like, did that bottle ever stop spinning? Who's to say? The answer is yes, because I picked it up to see if there was any left in the bottom and there wasn't. So Melanie then gives the, the basic plot of this movie, which was, I was going to be Nick's girlfriend. That fire was our first big date and you guys fucked it all up for me. And Sloane is like, oh my God, you are pathetic. <laughs> and Gwen and, and, and Brax are like, uh, hey, this is the perfect time to snatch her weapons. And they stab Dr. Mutant with this scalpel and then they all run off with a grenade. So the bullied girl in high school is our bad guy? Right, but not because she was bullied in high school. I mean, maybe that's why Sloane is there, but everyone else is there because of the guy that she almost dated being killed and I suppose ruining her chance at 
happiness or something. Like Brax is the 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 character in the movie that's like, so wait a second, she never even really dated the guy; she just wanted to. Right. So she is a crazy person. Those bullies were justified. Good for you, bullies. That's kind of the thing about this movie is that Melanie is presented as being one of the more sympathetic characters on paper for being bullied and all that. This movie just squanders all of that and just makes her the villain. But also she's just not a very good villain because her plan is so outrageous that she would want to kill all these people because of a date she never had. And she's drunk all the time. Right. Maybe that's the thing is like, that's the one guy she remembers from the blur of nights behind her. I know, look, I know there were other guys, but I remember the name Nick. Or Mech. Or Mike. Wait a second. Mac? Oh no. You guys, I totally had the wrong person. It wasn't even Nick. It was a guy named Mac. (laughs) Can I get a do-over? How did you get your do-over? You just asked for it? Hey, Mr. Rick. Oh, shit. Uh, Mr. Rick, I need a do-over like you gave the tog lady. So the, our survivors kind of hear this dripping water and are, are trying to get to this dark crystal. Then the Sloan doppelganger attacks only to get shot by the zombie Kim Coates who shows up. Well, somebody wrote this in a screenplay and they filmed it. This is so convoluted and confusing. Right, because there was part of me that was like, maybe Kim Coates killed the wrong one and this is all going to turn out like no. the Sloan is actually the evil doppelganger all along. But of course, none of that matters. And Gwen finds the the room with the crystal and she sees her fantasies of this family again mr rourke shows up he's like little darling hey look don't do that all right look i work here and julia well she's my wife all right you blow that thing up she's gonna be dead forever and i'd be sad all right hey what's that over there and then rourke grabs a grenade yeah and so while she gwen is pleading with rourke hey you you've got to help us here because what you're doing to your wife is trapping her in this perpetual state of dying mm, i know yep i'm good with yeah, and he just like tosses the grenade with the pin still in it in the in the fountain. hot potato coming in look out <laughs> don't take his personal and so melanie is now like guess what everybody i win i'm the best Meanwhile, Julia and Rourke have this moment in another part of the cave somewhere. She's hacking up blood. Melanie's like, been there, done that. She is, you know, saying like, hey, you need to help these people. And he says, hey, look, if I help these assholes, I'm going to lose you forever. And let's face it, they are awful people. You are way better than any three of them put together. Julia says, look, look, they are not the island's guest. They're your guests. They're your guests. You have to do something. You didn't get a master's degree in (coughs) hospitality management for nothing. (coughs) Blood, blood. Well, you make some, well, not good points, but points, I guess. And then just takes off his fancy snake ring and drops it in her hand. And it evaporates along with her in some really bad CGI. We cut back to Melanie, who's still giving her villain speech. Where she's just Uh like, look, I know I'm going to kill all of you, but I've been waiting for this for so long. And I just have to say again that you guys are the worst. Patrick Sullivan then shows up. The one who was stabbed earlier and left for dead, but he's not dead. And he shows up and he says, I'll pay. It's my fault that Nick's dead. Which I think we went over all of this earlier. I mean, he wasn't there for that meeting, but everybody else kind of had a part in Nick's death. And Melanie says, "Uh, you're a hero. You're a zero. 
such a great line. Oh, God. You're just like your dad, a loser. And then Rourke shows back up and he says, Hey, look, this here Patrick's right. All my guests, they get a fantasy. All right. And then Gwen Olsen, who apparently wrote the screenplay herself, or should at least have a story credit <laughs> due to her ability to know what the hell's going on in this movie. She says, Hey, if blonde haired Sloan drinks the water in that canteen, she gets a fantasy too. Blonde haired Sloan does that very thing. She takes a swig from the canteen and then she wishes for Nick and Melanie to be together forever and and the corpse of Nick pops out of the fountain and drags Melanie into the water like the end of the OG Friday the 13th. All yep. the zombies evaporate and we get one final jump from Melanie coming out of the water before she goes under for good. As she does that, she drops the grenade to kill all of them. Take this, assholes. It's closing time. You don't have to stay here where you can't go home. <laughs> <laughs> And then Patrick jumps on the grenade, obviously, because that's what his story has been leading to. And as he jumps on it, Gwen wakes up in her room and exits to the lobby where she finds Brax and Sloan. She's like, what happened? Was it all a dream? Is everybody dead? What's happening? Rourke shows up and he's like, well, about them people being dead, that is a big check mark. Uh, they are still dead as shit. And then he hangs the picture of Patrick and his father that was taken in the jungles of Venezuela, a.k.a. a couple of miles away. <laughs> and he says, you know what? He really died as a hero, which is what he wanted. Uh, you know, they, they say it's better to die as a hero than to live as a coward. And uh, uh, I got to take issue with that because I have been cowardly most of my life and <laughs> it has really <laughs> served me well. Everybody leaves and they go to get on the seaplane and blonde-haired Sloan says, what's going to stop us from telling everybody about this place? And Rourke says, Look, sweetheart, fantasies are a lot like dreams. You're going to forget everything about being here. It is the goddamn this thing. <laughs> yeah. Gwen asks him, like, well, what are you going to do now? And he's like, well... I'll tell you what, uh, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to protect the island, but I have no more regrets. Mostly because now that Melanie is gone, there is a lot more booze left and I am three sheets. Also, the fact that my wife isn't here, I mean, I loved her, but, you know, I'm single and ready to mingle. He tells Brax, Rourke does, that technically he shared his brother's fantasy and didn't have one of his own. Braxy, what do you want? What's your fantasy? Yeah. <laughs> and he says, I, I gotta tell you, bro, I'd love my brother to be back, bro. Be able to leave this island, just live his life, bro. That, that's everything I could ever want. Bring a people back from the dead, Braxy. That's, that is a big one. To pull that off, you gotta stay here with me forever, all right? Which begs the question, is that what happened to the goons? Were they people who traded a, a, a fantasy? No, they're just... They right, like, when did... Eh, it, like, I hate the fact that at the end of this movie, we're just inventing new shit. As soon as he asks Brax that, Brax is like, okay, yeah, I'll stay here forever. Are, are there going to be... Is, is all that weed going to be here? And all of those gay guys for me to have sex with? Done. <laughs> right. Can I... Is it, do, do you have Wi-Fi here? Can I, can I play Xbox? Because if that's the case, this is a done deal. Right. This is heaven. I, I, I'm I'm good to go. And so we so. cut to the plane and Gwen and Sloan are talking about, you know, well, it, you know, the, what's important is that you have to learn to forgive yourself. And the plane starts up and Gwen is like, hey, hey, you can't go yet because Brax isn't on board. And then out leans the ghost of JD from the co-pilot scene. He's like, I don't think Brax is coming, bro. And they're like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> and the plane flies off. 
Yeah, he leads out, like, JD leans out the window and waves at Brax. I'm going to miss you, bro. Brax waves him off as, you know, he's doomed now for eternity on this island. Rourke tells Brax, hey, look, little buddy, I guess you work for me now. Uh, We'll get you a uniform and a name tag. But Brax, that is a weird name. And Brax says, bro, it's better than my college nickname. Because I lost a bet, bro, and I got the dumbest ink ever on my chest, bro. And it's here that Brax peels back his shirt and shows Mr. Rourke that he has a tattoo two on his chest uh that has caused him so much embarrassment and consternation over the years because it is a tattoo of the word tattoo uh-huh god it's the worst and then rourke says huh well welcome to fantasy island tattoo let's go to that red bull mansion you know fuck some people a little celebration a little a little welcome to the family kind of affair you can fuck me if you want i don't know I, i'm open to ideas look i have been on this island for a century i have fucked and been fucked by everything by the way i recommend bears the end that's the end of the movie there's a title card that says blumhouse's fantasy island and we're dot. sorry <laughs> dot 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 yeah yeah in case you forgot uh how you wasted 90 minutes of your life fortunately it is only 90 minutes that that is maybe the best thing you can say about this film i wish i could say the same about this episode so that's it that is the end of season 12 of pick six movies all based on television shows that somehow made their way to the silver screen but we have come to that moment in a season where you and i rank from best to worst worst to best all six movies how would you put them in an order of your choosing this is especially tough this season because there's really not a good movie in the bunch let me start at the top the movie that i would watch again willingly is dragnet yes that's my number one all right number two the avengers why because it's short and it's kind of interesting to see as uh, sort of an experiment that has gone horribly wrong okay number three b- beneath number one it's all just gradations of shit <laughs> But Bordello of Blood makes my number three, which sounds crazy, Chad, until you realize what comes after. And this is where I had to do a little research. What I had to do, I think these last three films are all equally miserable. So what I did is I ranked them in order of their runtime. Which of these sucks the most? For the least amount of time. Which brings me to number four, Fantasy Island. Okay. Which is terrible. And then here's a here's a twist on, on my experiment, Chad. The Dukes of Hazard and Wild Wild West are both an hour and 47 minutes long. Oh, that hurts. Right, so how do you judge? Because they're equally long. Well, then you have to ask yourself, which of those was more racist? And the surprising winner there is Wild Wild West. Wild Wild West is the worst movie I feel like we watched this season. The Dukes of Hazard barely inching uh, a win over wild wild west by being only slightly less racist keep in mind that is a movie that had blackface and was somehow less yes. racist than wild wild west the wild wild west did almost use the n-word yeah and came up with enough variations coming out of kenneth Branagh's mouth that they might as well you and i agree on the top and bottom of this shit sandwich <laughs> my top is dragnet my bottom is wild wild west okay however i rank these based on how i would recommend them to someone else to watch so after dragnet i put fantasy island only because it's the most contemporary 
Harry and has the arguably highest production value. Up until the finale of this movie, I found it engaging and intriguing, sort of the way the storylines mix together. At the end of it, it's a real fart in the face. But up until that point, I enjoyed the movie. Following that, I put the Avengers because, as you pointed out, it is such a fever dream of a wacky, indescribable non sequiturs. And then after that, Bordello of Blood, Dukes of Hazard, and Wild Wild West, which I said at the outset when we first reviewed that film, that was my bottom. I will never, ever watch that movie again. That was a real surprise going back to Wild Wild West and not really appreciating how crazy and, and outrageous that movie is uh, in all the wrong ways. That was a real a real something that's season 12 which means we have to start preparing for season 13 can you believe it Bo? of pick six movies and Bo, next season we are doing something that we have never done before we will be talking about six motion pictures that are all about one man and i'm talking about 007 himself that's right next season we will be discussing one james bond movie for every actor to portray the iconic character over the last almost 60 years in a season that will be titled bonds james bonds yes this is exciting for me to kick things off we're starting with arguably one of the most popular and highly rated james bond films with sean connery as 007 in goldfinger goldfinger where does it go bend over and i will show you <laughs> stink finger so come back and see us in two weeks time as we will be presenting an all new season of pick six movies all about james bond we've never done this type of a season before we did six movies featuring the same actor in our inaugural season the films of turd ferguson which were all about burt reynolds but we've never done a season that really examines the portrayal of a particular character character throughout multiple motion pictures so i'm looking forward to it i as someone who has maybe a slightly more than passing familiarity with with the james bond films i haven't seen a ton of quite frankly and i'm not a fan so this will be a particularly egregious form of torture for me in the coming season but i'm excited to put myself through that because i got a little bit of a masochistic treat like sometimes i just uh, slam a door on my pinky something like that you know keep myself alive i feel <laughs> feel like i'm a, a, an honest to goodness human being for once i don't really know how to respond to that other than maybe you're welcome <laughs> yeah that found that sounds right so as always come back and see us in two weeks time like rate review send us an email at pick six movies at gmail.com we love to hear from everybody through social media bo any final thoughts on bloomhouse's fantasy island yeah i hope the next time that bloomhouse decides to remake a television show uh they do like bloomhouse's the love boat uh which is this basically the the same kind of premise only it's a ghost ship at sea Jack. it writes itself <laughs> it certainly did in this case <laughs> thanks everybody we'll see you in two weeks time